pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in. It is the Justin Kinner Show live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Welcome in. I hope everybody had a great day at work. Buckle up. We got a jam-packed three-hour show coming your way. We're going to open up right now with Browns and Steelers talk. And I'm curious, Browns fans, like this is the biggest Browns-Steelers matchup that I can remember in quite some time. Like I, I felt like last year heading into the first Steelers matchup that with the Browns, it was a situation where they weren't. They didn't have the start to the season that they were anticipating, but they knew if they can get past the Steelers that they were at the halfway point last season and they had the easiest strength of schedule to close out the back half of the season last year. Well, the Browns, in typical Browns fashion, get the Browns win. But of course, they get the big loss. They lose Miles Garrett for the last, you know, last part of the season. They end up not making the playoffs. They totally, uh, you know, fell short of all expectations coming in. And then, of course, Miles Garrett, uh, you know, lost the rest of the season. And the Browns, you know, lost the rest of their games. I mean, pretty much they lost the Steelers the next time with Duck Hodges at quarterback. But this is an interesting conversation to have at this point. Here is a quote from Mike Tomlin heading into this matchup coming up this weekend. Mike Tomlin says that we love being in the kitchen. The kitchen. (laughs) Mike Tomlin goes on to say that the AFC North, the AFC North ball is in the kitchen. It's hot in the North right now. Now, there are two different ways that you could perceive that if you are a Browns fan. You could be petty like me and take that and spin it and and spin it. Put it in in hyperdrive. Do what you got to spin the hell out of it. All right. Put it in the spin cycle. I'm not dumb, and I don't think Mike Tomlin's dumb either. I think he knew damn well what he was doing when he happened to use the phrase kitchen. Now, let's be clear here. Like, I've never heard Mike Tomlin say, oh, man, it's like a kitchen in the AFC. That's, it's, it, you know what I mean? Like, he's not trying to mix. The, that was a shot at the Browns. Let's be clear. That was a shot at Freddie Kitchens, which I don't care about Freddie Kitchens, by the way. I'm glad he's gone. Well, we all know that last year when that whole thing went down, you had Freddie Kitchens and you had Mike Tomlin both defending their teams to the media afterwards, both making jabs at one another. You know, some even going on radio shows later on that week and making it clear how both felt about the other team's player. And as the usual, coaches have to defend their guys, which I'm fine with. But let's not act like that's, you know, here's the deal with the Steelers. The Steelers live in a world where they have how many Super Bowls? They are expected to win the division every year. They're expected to make the playoffs every year. And then here comes the ugly duckling, the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, Super Bowl. I mean, the Browns have a lot in common with me and you. They always watch the Super Bowl. All right, they don't play in Super Bowls. They don't, I mean, they don't even get to the playoffs half the time. I mean, last year they underachieved. They did not make the playoffs. They're supposed to make the playoffs. They're 4 and 1. But how about this stat for this game with the Steelers coming up this weekend? The Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are undefeated at 4 and 0. The Browns are 4 and 1. The Steelers are undefeated, as I mentioned. The Browns 4-1. It is the second best combined win percentage of any game involving the Browns in NFL history. Mm. 
How about in NFL history? This is the biggest game that the Cleveland Browns have played in in quite some time because last year beating the Steelers, it was just, it was really just going to be a even if you did get the win, it would be more along the lines of like a moral victory. Let's be clear. I mean, a, a, a legit victory, but a moral victory. No one really anticipated the Browns going on a run in the second half. They had already proved that the coaching uh, was too much for Baker Mayfield to overcome. The offensive line was too much for Baker Mayfield to overcome. OBJ was dropping balls left and right. The receivers led the National Football League and dropped catches all season. It was a mess. It was an absolute mess a season ago. Fast forward to the offseason. Fast forward to now. You have Kevin Stefanski, an actual grown adult, an actual man who has control of everything that's going on with the Cleveland Browns right now. They look like a real football team. They have deficiencies pretty much like every team. Kevin and I are going to give our top five, bottom five here in a moment. And I'm not even the top five, even the Kansas City Chiefs, who I'm sure are both in our list. They have shown some flaws over the last couple of weeks. I mean, every team has flaws. So I love whenever you bring up your favorite team. People right away try to bring up the the parts about the team that are bad. Every, there's no such thing as a perfect football team, at least not in 2020. We thought that the Ravens would be pretty close with the offensive firepower they have. And, of course, complementing it with the defense and what they did in the offseason. And then of course, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, reigning defending Super Bowl champions, expecting them to go 16-0, expecting them to repeat as Super Bowl champions. All of a sudden, they've looked a little weaker over the last couple weeks, especially after losing to the Raiders this past weekend. But my big question is this, is I know the Steelers are used to have, you know living up to a certain expectation. All right, They didn't make the playoffs last year, and I'm going to give 110% credit to the fact that Big Ben did not play. Back I'm not back dumb. Years, back to back, back, to years. back years did not make the playoffs. But Big Ben, I mean, last year, Pittsburgh goes 8-8. Eight and eight. They make the playoffs with Big Ben as their quarterback last year. 8-8 eight and eight without Big Ben, and everyone knows, even Steelers fans, Kev will tell you, the quarterback quarterback play for the Steelers last year was absolutely atrocious and somehow they found themselves at, at, at you know at 500 by the end of the year goodness this is strange to me because, look, I know that the Browns opened up with the Ravens in week one. And it felt like a big game, but I hated that the Browns had opened up with the Ravens in week one, and you saw why. Um, and then there was the Bengals game a couple weeks later, and I'm like, well, this feels cool. You know, Joe Burrow versus Baker Mayfield. But that's kind of where it stopped for me. I mean, maybe it's because the Bengals are garbage, and maybe that's because they weren't actually playing for anything. Um, but uh, it was one of those where, okay, you the Browns definitely, I wanted them to get the win over the Bengals because I didn't want to have to personally deal with Bengals fans on the show having to hear it from them every single day. Um, but moving forward, I'm like, who are the Browns' divisional rivals? Because, you know, you feel like the Ravens are your rival, and they are. And the Bengals are your rival because they're a division foe. And the same thing with this. But the only matchup every year that even when the Browns have no wins, even when the Browns are out of the playoff picture, and even when the Browns right now at 4-1, and one, the only opponent that I could think of that when it is the week of that particular game and that particular matchup, the only opponent that honestly brings this kind of buzz and feel to a big game feel, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I mean, the Ravens, yes, and, the, and that's what's crazy about it, is the Ravens are the face of the AFC North right now. They have the reigning MVP quarterback in Lamar Jackson. They have one of the best defenses in the NFL. They have one of the best offenses in the NFL. The Ravens are legit. Mm-hmm. The Ravens are legit. That's their division. The Steelers, we're still trying to figure out who they are, but yet this game feels like the biggest game in the AFC North this season, and it doesn't involve the team that, everyone, that has dominated the AFC North the last couple of seasons and the Baltimore Ravens. So the big thing I have a question for you, Browns fans, is the Steelers, that's, that's the Browns' biggest rival. I think everyone will agree, but Steelers fans, I want to hear from you. What about the Browns? Because you could talk it up all you want. You could say that, oh, it's just the Browns. Oh, 0-16 a few years ago. I mean, I don't even want to get into what the Steelers' record is uh, over the last 20 years against the Cleveland Browns because it's embarrassing. I mean, that's why last year, whenever the Browns finally got the win over the Steelers, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, that was a big deal. But, of course, the narrative afterwards was only about 
Miles Garrett swinging the helmet uh, at the quarterback, not Big Ben, uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it's really one of those where I know that the Cleveland Browns look at Pittsburgh as the team that they have to beat. They're circling the Steelers. Whether the Browns are expected to go 0-16 or 16-0 or 12-4 or 13-3, the Steelers are who they are circling on that schedule. But what about the Steelers? Because you can act like the Browns are just the Browns, and Mike Tomlin goes to the media and says, look, we're just trying to go undefeated. We're not looking for that low-hanging fruit or that reality TV storyline and so forth. This is a big game here in 2020. And that's your typical coach's response. All right, I I don't believe him. I believe that, you know, Tomlin and one of the best coaches in football, never doubt that, but I also know he's petty as hell. This is a coach who tried to trip someone running up the sideline a few years ago. I will never forget that and how we forget about that and how we still don't bring that up every opportunity we get is absolutely beyond me. But nonetheless, here we are and here I am bringing it up. But Mike Tomlin could say the right things. He can do the coach to speak all he wants. But then when you go on to say we love being in the kitchen. I'm sorry. That's a weird phrase, and I think I have an idea what he's referencing. I think it's a jab at the Browns. So to me, the pettiness of Mike Tomlin, the pettiness of the Steelers, you could act like, oh, you know, you're you're on your high horse. You're the Pittsburgh Steelers. But trust me, the Browns have your attention, and this week is the biggest game uh, of the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns because either way, one of these two teams we are officially going to put on the map after this weekend, and it's crazy because the Browns definitely will get the rub off the Steelers, but I think the Steelers... They they really want to put down the Browns because they don't want to admit that they would get a rub by beating the Cleveland Browns coming up this weekend. You know, for me, this goes back a long ways. People always ask me, how can you be from Cleveland and be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? I'll tell everybody real quick. My mom is a Steelers fan, and she's Cleveland. She's born and raised in Cleveland. My big brother is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So we're Steelers fans. But my mom, my grandmother, Browns fan. My pops, Browns fan. My wife, Browns fan. My in-laws, Browns fans. So this is truly a family-divided situation. I remember the days of, you know, you talk about how, like, man, the Steelers over the last 20 years have been dominating the Browns and everything like that. You know, after the Super Bowl run the Steelers had in the 70s, um, there's this year, this decade called the 80s. And the Steelers sucked in the 80s. And that's when I was born in the 80s. So um, the older listeners will know about the Cardiac Kids, that version of the Browns with uh, Brian Sype at quarterback. Then after Brian Sype, they had uh, Bernie Kozar from Youngstown, Ohio. And uh, they were headed for the Super Bowl, ran into John Elway. Um, but that team was loaded. I'm talking about Kevin Mack. I'm talking about Webster Slaughter. I'm talking about that team was loaded. And to have to basically be an outcast because I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and we were getting blown out by the Browns. Like we talk about like how the Steelers are been dominating them. It was vice versa back in those days. And then the nineties came and then it, it switched over. And then unfortunately the Cleveland Browns uh, were taken away from the city. And now the return of the Browns and it's been a bludgeoning ever since. But this game on Sunday, this is the biggest Steelers Browns game in decades. In decades. Um, I remember they played in the preseason one time. I went to a preseason game. Steelers and Browns. It was a fight in the stands at a preseason game. I'm like 10 years old. Uh, it is crazy, man. I, I'm I'm so upset that fans can't attend these games. You know, uh, there, there's gonna, not going to be fans in the stands in Pittsburgh in the first matchup. But you That's know, another reason Browns are better. You can go to games in Cleveland. <laughs> like, I'm so upset. Like, same way we were talking about it was it's too bad that, you know, 
the Reds made the playoffs and the fans can't go to the games to enjoy it. That that really sucks. And this sucks as well, man, for both fan bases involved. You know, the Browns are finally good again, and they can't pack the stadium. Um, they can't go on a road to Pittsburgh and rouse the fans if they come away with a win. So I really feel bad for the fans. But back to the actual game itself, I'm ready for it, man. I You talk about this all the time when it's talking about the Buckeyes. You want to have those butterflies in your stomach when they go up into a matchup. But you don't get them until they make it to the college football playoff. You just don't get that feeling. And I really don't get that feeling when the Steelers play the Browns. I got them this week because they're ready. The Browns are here. The Browns are awake. And I guarantee every Pittsburgh, true Pittsburgh Steelers fan feels the exact same way I do. They're not taking it for granted because if they've been around long enough, they remember when the Browns had the upper hand. And it's the same thing I always talk about with Ohio State and Michigan. I don't take those games for granted because I remember Tim Bianca Batuka. I remember Brian You can't say onto the Cooper. <laughs> I remember Brian Sykes leading the Browns down the field uh, for victory versus my Pittsburgh Steelers. So I remember all that stuff. I am so amped for this game. I talked to my dad earlier today, and he said something that rung out to me. He's like, yo, this Sunday at 1 o'clock will be a perfect time to rob a bank because nobody's going to be outside the house. Everybody's going to be in the house watching this game. Like, you know, you can't really go to the bars like that. Can't really do this. Can't really do that. The city of Cleveland is going to be shut down yep. for this game. It's, it's one to watch, man. It's definitely one to watch. All right, four five seven nine four six four. That's the number to call in and join in on the conversation. So we're going to step away for a few moments, and we're going to load up the phone lines. We're going to hear from Browns fans. We want to hear from Steelers fans. We're also live on Facebook. Go to Facebook, search the Justin Kinner Show. You can watch the show that way. Listen, stream, and now watch. I'm interested in people's thoughts on this. We're already hearing from guys on Facebook that are saying uh, right now that this is not, uh, you know, that this is not the biggest game of the season. It's just the biggest game right now. No, it is the biggest game of the season. It's a tone setter for the rest of the season because if the Browns beat the Steelers, that confidence is going to take them the rest of the way. If they lose, you're going to have that that thought in the back of your head of, oh man, we're the, still the same old Browns. We technically haven't beaten anybody. The Steelers will be that somebody coming up. So I disagree. This is the biggest game of the season. If you're the Browns, and yes. Follow ESPN 1410 Wing AM on Facebook. 76-59-1. That is the record that the Pittsburgh Steelers have over the Cleveland Browns. And, of course, that tie coming two years ago. It was Baker's rookie year. In fact, Baker didn't even play in that game. Tyron Taylor was the starting quarterback for that. Of course, uh, the, you know, the, the Browns would go on to lose the very next week against the Saints uh, in, in overtime as well. Another missed kick and they, the Browns had multiple opportunities in that tie against Pittsburgh to potentially start the season 1-0. But, uh, man, you fast forward all the way to this matchup. A lot's happened between that you know, between that tie in 2018 and week one of the 2018 season to now uh, and everything in between, including the Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph fiasco, the swinging the helmet to the exposed head of Mason Rudolph. Uh, you know, Miles Garrett after the game saying that a racial slur was used and that, that there's no indication out there that that was actually uh, the case. Uh, you know, you have Mike Tomlin who's come out and adamantly defended his guys and said, no, that never happened. Uh, so it's just a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of animosity between these two teams. It's not just because they're in the same division. They truly dislike one another. Uh, and that's what makes this matchup coming up this weekend 
that much more uh, exciting. The Browns looking for their 60th win in franchise history against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you're right, going back and looking at the some of the 80s matchups, there, there was that 59 to, mm-hmm. to nothing win, uh, you know, that, that siphon the Browns had. So it's just like, yeah, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, unreal as far as that's concerned. So a lot has definitely changed uh, since then. But this is a big one. So we're getting on Facebook that uh, it is not the biggest uh, of, of all time. I don't think we said it was the biggest of, of all time, did we? I think I said it's the biggest of the season. Because here's why. This is why it's the biggest of the season. Because uh, David goes on to ask, well, what happens if later in the year they end up meeting for a division title? For one, the Ravens are winning the division title. I'm not taking that title away from the Ravens yet. There's nothing I've seen from the Ravens outside of losing to the Chiefs. And a lot of teams are going to lose to the Chiefs this year, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to, to to bump them off their throne because the, the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson as quarterback, even though he's kind of his numbers haven't been as, you know, stat-popping as we've seen in years past, but it's still Lamar Jackson. He's still the MVP. It's still Baltimore. I'm going to roll with them as division champs, but I really think it's going to come down between – well, it is going to come down between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. But here's why it's huge for Pittsburgh, Kevin. You have the Browns this weekend. If Pittsburgh loses – okay, because here's who they've played to this point. They've beat up on the Giants – They've beat up on the Broncos, they've beat up on the Texans, and they've beat up on the Eagles. The Giants have no wins, mm-hmm. all right? The Broncos have one win, the Texans have one win, and the Eagles have one win. So that's not, that. you know what I mean? So that's not a that's not a good lineup of teams that right. they've played. Now, I'm not saying that the Browns lineup is any better, okay? Because a lot of these teams are beating up on the NFC East, so that's propping a lot of teams up. But you have the Browns this week. You lose to the Browns, you got the Titans and the Ravens the next two weeks. So after being 4-0, you lose to the Browns, and let's say you split with the Titans and Ravens, all of a sudden that record is just not as, you know, it's still above 500, but all I'm mm-hmm. saying is, is you don't want to lose to the Browns heading into you know the next two matchups being against the Titans and the Ravens and the Cowboys all on the road. I know it is the Cowboys. I know their defense has been horrible, but anytime you're playing on the road and there are fans starting to trickle into these stadiums now more and more, the home oh, yeah. field advantage is going to be there. It's going to be there for the Titans. It's going to be there for the Ravens and Cowboys. Maybe not the Ravens, obviously. But bottom line is you don't want to lose this matchup if you're Pittsburgh. And if you're Cleveland, you, you're buying into that into your hype right now, but you're doing it in a more mature manner. But now you could truly buy into it. You right. will truly believe that you are one of the top teams in the National Football League. And that's the one thing that Cleveland really has to, you know, that we've seen them handle success well early. Like, because that's the other thing, too. You know, we, they didn't handle success well after year one with Baker. You know, Baker won, what, seven seven games? And you would have thought that they went, like, 12-4. and four. Like, I'm predicting them to go this year. You would have thought they were 12-4 and four and made the playoffs and nearly won a Super Bowl with how cocky they were that <laughs> offseason. This year, they're 4-1, and one, and there's not a whole lot of chatter. There's not a whole lot of chatter. After the Steelers matchup, you have the Bengals. It's a winnable game. The Raiders is a winnable game. The Texans is a winnable game. The Eagles is a winnable game. The Jaguars is a winnable game. I mean, that's the next six opponents. There's a lot of wins there. Yeah. The potential wins there if you're the Cleveland Browns. And imagine taking the momentum of beating the Steelers on the road with you through those the next month and a half against those opponents. I tell you what, Cleveland, by the time we get to the halfway point, we could be looking back and saying, holy smokes, they've only lost one game. But again... It might be two games, depending on the result of coming up on Saturday. Steelers still a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Yeah, going back to the teams that the Steelers have played, good thing this isn't college football because <laughs> no one would respect their schedule. That's what we would be arguing. But this is the NFL's where in, where wins are valuable. Uh, we talk about this three-game stretch that the Pittsburgh Steelers are about to go on. Good thing they racked up those wins over those lesser teams because they could potentially lose three in a row. 
know what I'm saying? So that's why when you get games on your schedule that you're supposed to win, you need to win them. As far as going forward with the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is a gauntlet you're headed for. You know, you talk about the number of wins that the teams that they have beaten don't really have, like what they have two wins combined. Well, these teams you're about to play, the Titans are undefeated. Browns are four and one. Ravens are four and one. These are big dogs on the road. Yeah, now, now you're welcoming in Cleveland, but after that you're hitting the road yeah. uh, for some of those top teams. But four five oh, four five seven nine four six four. That's the number to call in and jump in on the conversation. We've opened up the line, so you'll be able to to jump in uh, as far as that's concerned. But yeah, this week this this matchup with the Steelers this weekend is a big deal. I, I you know you can argue it's a bigger deal for the Browns, but I think it's an even bigger deal for the Steelers because we're still trying to figure out just who the Pittsburgh Steelers are. You could say that about the Browns, uh, but I think that the Browns, even if the Browns lose to the Steelers coming up. I still think there's more wiggle room for them to be able to succeed moving forward. You lose, to, I mean, you're four and one right now. You lose to the Steelers, you're four and two, and then like I, t- I said, you look at that schedule. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you're going to be, you know, you have the Bengals. Uh, you have, you know, you have the Bengals. You have uh, the Raiders, the Texans, the Eagles, the Jaguars. So this is a bigger game for Pittsburgh right now than it is for the Cleveland Browns, even though Cleveland. They're looking to get this huge win over a team that has just owned them for decades now. So there's a lot riding on both sides. But I think Cleveland can recover from a Pittsburgh loss here at this point of the season more than than Pittsburgh can. Because although they're 4-0, we're still questioning who they exactly are with that being said. Let's go to Riverside. We got Bob waiting on us. Bob and Riverside, welcome in, sir. How are you? What's happening, Justin? Long time, man. Holy Long moly! Time. This is how you know it's football. I'm hearing a lo- I'm hearing from a lot of the old guests from last year. I tell you, it's good to have football season back. Absolutely. Hey, kudos to the Browns. You know, I'm a big Bengal fan, but kudos to the Browns. They look good, man. They look good. I, they, uh, you know, I think the maturity. They certainly matured a lot, so that's good to see. Um, and I think you finally got a coach, man. I think you finally got a real coach. They can get the best out of this uh, ball club, so that's uh, that's awesome to see. So kudos to the Browns. Hey, one thing I do want to say, uh, as far as the Bengals are concerned, hey man, quit being so hard on my Bengals offensive line. They suck. We know they suck, <laughs> but 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 I will say this: kudos to the organization for improving that defense. Because remember, the last few years we've been talking. You know, one of the things you always hit on was we had the worst defense in the history of mankind, which we did. So what they what did they do the whole offseason? They put all the money into the defense, drafted some excellent linebackers. I was very encouraged, actually, the way the defense played against Baltimore. Lamar only got like three yards rushing when he killed. He had about 200 himself every game last year against us. So kudos to that. It's just going to take a little, a little bit of time. You can't get everything. You can't completely fix your whole team in one year. So they do have to work on that offensive line. But one thing Joe Burrow's got to do, too, he got to learn. This is not college. When you're playing in the AFC North, you can't hold the ball for 10 seconds. You know somebody's going to hit you, and you got to get rid of the ball. Hold up. Joe, Joe Burrow just texted me. He said to ask Bob, where the hell's this 10 seconds coming from? He would love to hold on to the ball for 10 seconds. <laughs> okay, three and a half. <laughs> there we go. But I de- your point's well taken. I know what you're saying. So. Uh, but, Bob, but, let me uh, say this. I, no, you, you're completely right, by the way, about them addressing the defense. But I, what I, I keep knocking the Bengals for is prioritize, you know, prioritizing. You know, make, what were their priorities? Because you got your quarterback finally, but you did not prioritize your quarterback because you did not prioritize protecting him. Uh, I get it. I, I said this at the beginning of the season. I don't care if the Bengals had another year of the worst defense in the history of the league. I would rather them lose uh, 45 to 40 because you protected, you know, Joe Burrow and gave him time to throw and take advantage of the weapons that he has. I would rather 
them go 0-16, losing 45-40 to every week, putting 40 points up on the board with the worst defense in the league, because then you could address the defense in the offseason. Now you tr- kind of fine-tune their defense, you ignored the offensive line, and now you got to just hope that Joe Burrow can survive, not just the rest of this season, but even have a career moving forward. It's that bad. He only threw the ball 30 times against the Ravens and got sacked eight times. That, that can't happen. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think a lot of that has to do with the Bengals have been, they're delusional, first of all, about their offensive line. Well, they still keep running Bobby Hart out there. Okay? Everybody, anybody that has a set of eyes can see that Bobby Hart can't play. And yet, the right guard situation, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. They, they actually thought, coming into this season, that they had, you know, Bobby Hart was still good. They keep saying that. They keep selling us on that. And uh, the right guard situation, he went and got a backup from Dallas. So I think they're delusional. Hopefully this will open their eyes and see that, you know what, maybe these guys aren't as good as what we thought they were going to be. They're backups at best. Uh, Billy Bryce, I mean, awful. I mean, just absolutely. I I believe that guy just has no heart. He wasn't like that at Ohio State. He has no heart. So I think think this will open up guys absolutely to see what they need to do because you absolutely got to – you know, protect your franchise quarterback. So I, I, I look for. I think COVID and I think this coming uh, off season is going to be big. And I think uh, what you had mentioned earlier. I don't even look at wins for the Bengals. I just want to see improvement. I want to see the defense gets better and 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 things like that. That's what I'm kind of looking forward to more than anything. Absolutely, and you are right about the defense. I think the one thing that's disappointing, too, is you know DJ Reader out. Uh, he was placed on the injured reserve yeah. this past Monday with a quad injury. He's going to miss the rest of 2020. That was one of their bigger free agent signings in the offseason. That was one of their biggest you know ways to address that defense. So that is disappointing as far as that's concerned. What do you think about A.J. Green? How down are you on A.J. Green? Uh, AJ done, man. <laughs> I agree. And I don't. he's done, but I don't even think that's been a problem. Like, I think if you start making a list of the problems for the Bengals, I don't even put that at the top because I don't think they're A.J. Green away from, you know, being any different than what they are now. That O-line is that O-line, and it doesn't matter how good the receivers are, but you're right. I think A.J. Green has shown zero burst or zero sense of who he used to be. It's unfortunate. I'm not mad at A.J. Green. We shouldn't be ripping A.J. Green. It's just the unfor- it's an unfortunate ending, uh, possible ending to a career that was so special in Cincinnati. I hate that yeah. they wasted his career, though. Say this though, uh, one thing, one disappointment is A. Green didn't know the plays either. You know, he shouldn't have to be asking Mike Thomas, who came over from the Rams, "Hey, what do I need to do on this play or that play?" Mike Thomas admitted that A.J. Green is asking that. Now, you were team last year. Yeah, you were hurt the whole year. Attention the whole year that you come out because there. Real quick, Bob, if you could call back or we'll talk again soon. You were just cutting out there towards the end. I apologize about that, but it was great hearing from you. It's great hearing from some of the uh, old guys that were calling during the football season last year. So it's always great, uh, you know, especially when we could do it in a nice way. Because I don't, I'm not that nice about the Bengals. We know it's tough to come up with the list of. I mean, when we do that three and out every every week, the th- three reasons why I believe the Bengals could win. You have no clue. I work harder at that than anything <laughs> else I do, trying to come up with something. And I even practice in the mirror, trying to sound sincere. Uh, when it comes to that. So I really do try, Bengals fans. I really, really do try. Let's go to the Facebook feed. Lamar Shelley says, if the Steelers lose, and I was waiting to hear your opinion on this, Kev, you being a Steelers fan, if the Steelers lose, do they get Le'Veon Bell? If the Browns lose, do they trade OBJ? Uh, I'm going to say real quick, let me respond to the OBJ thing. I think the Browns have officially 
I'm fine with I want them to keep OBJ now. At the beginning, I thought, man, Baker throwing 150 yards a game, really not, you know, seeing that. But because Devin, Kevin Stefanski is such an innovator as far as, you know, offensive play schemes, he's finding ways to get OBJ involved. And he's, OBJ is not so dependent on Baker to make some of those plays as I thought he was. So now I don't want the Browns to move because he adds an element to the offense that I think if he's gone, it just becomes a simple pass and catch game between Baker and, and uh, um, you, you know, and, and the other receivers. So I'm worried about if they did move on from OBJ. But I like the Le'Veon Bell thing back in Pittsburgh, and I, he's a free agent as of 4 o'clock today mm-hmm. uh, is officially when it goes into play. 25 minutes. I don't know who, I mean, who, where could he go? I mean, Carolina? Uh, no, you ain't going to go to Carolina, but you could compliment you know, McCaffrey at that point. Where, where could he go? I think we're trying too hard to ignore where he's most likely going to end up. And it's going to be, by the way, don't be surprised, Baltimore. Baltimore right now is not getting good run contributions to Ingram. And, and trust me, he's on my fantasy team. And he's not, J.K. Dobbins has been, I'm not going to use the word bust five games into a season, but he has not been what, you know, I kept saying, oh, he's slipping in the draft. This, you know, whoever gets him, it's going to be a steal. It has not been the case as far as I'm concerned. Remember, all you need is 60 yards to be a 1,000-yard back. He can't even get 40. So that's been a problem. I won't even bring up that conversation from the well, summertime. You know, when we started, I wasn't right all the time, but I'm better now. So <laughs> Okay. As far as Le'Veon is concerned, you know, when the news broke last night, you know, my phone blew up. It was my brother. Like, you think Le'Veon coming back? I was like, man, I would love it, man. But, you know, something that the Steelers are known for, man, they're known for now, especially getting rid of the headache. And we look at Le'Veon's career with the Jets. He got paid. A lot of money in 18 games, like $26 million in 18 games, but the production wasn't there. It Was that Le'Veon's fault or was it the Jets' fault? Uh, we look what's going on with Antonio Brown and the lack thereof, him being suspended, him trying to get back in the NFL as is. Um, I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to say we're good. I think that's how they're going to attack that. You know, That's a dumb uh, decision. <laughs> they're, a, they, they're a dumb organization that acts like they know more than everybody else. <laughs> How long has it been since they won a Super Bowl? It's about, I'll say, like 10 years. 10 years? Okay. Yeah. Well, the Steeler way, it's not really working. It's not them. working? It's not, I mean... Is no, not working. Not up to their standards. Oh I mean, can see if you're goodness. at least. I can see if you're at least getting to AFC Championship games and knocking on the door in the verge. We knocked the Eagles all those years under Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb, but damn, they were at least in the NFC title game every single year. The Steelers, not so much, even in the AFC. So that's all. That's all. <laughs> So your team wins uh, four games, and now you can call the team that has been dominating the conference stupid. Like they are. First of all, that's not really that big of an accomplishment. You have the Bengals and the Browns in that division, and the Ravens. You know, up until now, this is the most dominant that they've been in quite some time, even including the Super Bowl year that they were mainly just known for their defense. Now, this is the most well-rounded Ravens team. Uh, that, hell, even go back to the Ravens Super Bowl in the there early two thousands. That's the Kenner I know. Yeah, that's the Kenner I know. There he is. There he is. Yes. Uh, you know. Anyways, but that, that that's just not their way. Uh, Tomlin's overrated. Oh, you just said he was one of the best coaches Changed in the league. Changed my mind. Pissed me off. So Changing my mind. You know, bringing up Freddie Kitchens like that, tripping guys <laughs> on the sideline. Oh yeah, that's my coach. Ride or die with him. Yep. Back though. Shouts out to Mike T. Uh, I just don't think they're gonna do it. Uh, they'll just probably stay stand pat. You know, uh, they they're not even really like a big running team anymore. Like you know, everybody always tries to piss pit the Pittsburgh Steelers as a ground and pound team. They really go out there four and five wide now. And um I don't think they're gonna do it. 
I'd be happy if they did, though. You know, uh, you know, we got James Conner, we got Benny Snell, we got McFarland from Maryland in the draft. I mean, we can say like all these names aren't big names until they become big names, and that's what happens when you're with an organization. The organization helps to make you a big name. Four five seven nine four six four. Justin Kinder, Kev Nash, with you here on fourteen ten uh, ESPN Radio. Back to the Facebook feed we go. Uh, Don Roberts says Steelers best owner, uh, best ownership in football. Fact, no contest. Um, actually, that's not a fact, and it's. I mean, they are good owners. I'm not. So let me reset here. The Steelers ownership, absolutely, it's really really good. It's not the best in football. The Patriots own that by a mile. In fact, the Patriots can run five trips around a track and still, you know, just be significantly ahead of everybody else. Like. It's it's but Pittsburgh's up there, um, but uh, I'm not going to go with the Steelers have the best ownership in football. I, I just can't do that uh, right now as far as that's concerned. I think there's a difference between ownership and management. I think the Patriots check all those boxes. I'm the just Pittsburgh saying I think it's a I think it's a difference. Uh, I I would argue that it would be the Pats, um, Steelers, Packers. And the Chiefs, like, as far as ownership, like, giving teams the necessary tools, spending dollars, and taking care of their own free agents, and those type of things. I, w- I would put those teams up there with that. I wouldn't say it's a clear runaway just because you win the championship. That necessarily doesn't mean that. Uh, you know, Ron... Throwing his two cents in Steelers, minus three and a half, easy cover with a bunch of money signs. Hey, Ron, what down is it? Is it fourth down, third down? Have you figured that out? I know you're a Buccaneers fan, and I, I mean, I, you're chiming in here. I'm just curious. Has your quarterback figured out what down it is yet? I, you know, I know he's a little senile now being you know, up in age like Tom Brady is. I, I don't know. And as much as I dislike Jerry Jones, I would put the Cowboys up there as well. Yeah, I, I mean, he gives his team opportunity. And that's all you can ask for from coach, from your players, to know that, like, all right, the ownership is, like, trying to do stuff. Like, we saw so many other teams in the NFL and NBA who whose ownership don't even try. They don't even try. They just, like, dare to cast their check, and they care less about what happens on the field. You know, you know everything that happens with Mike Brown down in Cincinnati, like, people say he doesn't care about the team and everything like that. So... That's that's why I view management. Do do they actually care enough to say, all right, we're going to spend big dollars and go over the salary cap, yada, yada, yada. So that's why I see the difference between management and ownership because the Pats, they don't go over the cap to spend money on players. I think that's more like management and what Belichick is doing behind the scenes to find the right players. So that's why I think ownership and management are two different things. Tyler Shorty says, Tanhill's still better than Baker. I was waiting to hear from him. I know he tweeted at me last night. I purposely ignored him. And I, that's why, uh, Shorty, just so you know, moving forward, the Titans don't exist to me. A.J. Uh, Brown. They almost ruined. They, how about that stiff arm, though? I do got to bring up that <laughs> stiff arm. He stiff armed him in the last season. I mean, it's, it's even better because it was Norman, too, on top of it. But uh, holy smokes. Uh, but no, the, t- the Titans don't exist. Uh, I think their quarterback, who, you know, you bring up Ryan Tannehill's a horrible leader. He nearly put his team in position to forfeit a game because he's selfish. So I'm not a Ryan and Tanhill guy. I'm not a Titans guy. Boo Titans, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, real quick, uh, Don Roberts, uh, going for the cheap shot here. I like it. He goes, I don't hear about the Steelers having any issues with ladies of the evening, or should I say massage therapists, bringing up, of course, Robert Kraft. Uh, and, the, and and let's and Don, don't be rude. First of all, that story had a happy ending. Oh, goodness. He got away with it. It may not be a real happy ending, but for him it was. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. That's Kev's cue to shut up and just go to break. What I do? 
I'm not going to say what you did. I'm just going to hit the button and you can wrap up the segment. And maybe we can keep our FCC I wonder if license. he did that. Anyway, so uh, when we come back, who do we have on hold? Tell, who, who, who's we there? got David from Centerville We have online. David, Nick, Tyler, and more. David, you're our first caller when we come back. I promise you, just sit tight. Be patient. We'll be back with you in a moment. More of your calls. NFL Talk next. Don't go anywhere. The Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Weekdays at 3 p.m. on Dayton's ESPN Radio. 1410 Wing AM. So you want to talk about Allard? All right, we are back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. One of the biggest college football matchups of the season, or at least I should say that one of the biggest college football matchups of this weekend has been postponed. I'll tell you which matchup that is coming up here around the corner. How about this? Tony La Russa, 76 years old. Well, there is a team out there who is interested in acquiring about his managerial services Are you for next serious? year. Uh, and a very interesting team at that. It's a team that I would not have pegged as a team that would be interested in turning. Again, I'm Justin Kinner. He's Kev Nash. 457-9464. We have about three minutes. Uh, four minutes. We have four minutes. Let's get a call in. We got David. David, welcome in. Uh, it's a voice we could put with the Facebook now. How are you, sir? Not bad. I don't know if four minutes is going to be long enough time. but uh, Four minutes is all we got. So. <laughs> I, I know. I should have called in next hour, I guess. Um, since you were the king of the hyperbolic statement this week. Um, all I heard was I'm the king. I didn't hear anything else after that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, you're the king of the hyperbolic statement. <laughs> Just wanting to rise everybody up. I, I really uh, That's really not what I'm trying to do. Uh, the Justin Herbert Burrow conversation. That's oh, no, I truly believe that. I was more impressed with Justin Herbert than Joe Burrow so far. Well, that's not to hype people up. That's the truth. Well, yesterday, uh, to be honest, yesterday I did say he's been more impressive than Baker. I, I'll take the playmaking ability of the arm of, of Herbert over Baker right now. I said that yesterday, so that that neutralizes the theory that I'm just trying to get Bengals fans fired up. Well, then you come out and now you're trying to get Steelers fans riled up by saying that they've been uh, that they're not living up to the Steeler way for the last ten years. When you're a Browns not fan. the Steeler way is a Super Bowl. And they haven't won one in ten plus years. They've missed some playoffs here. That's not the Steeler way. One team wins the Super Bowl every season. It's not the Steelers. Okay, this question's for Kev. When was the last time the Steelers won the um, the AFC uh, Championship game? Man, shoot, uh, that's a good question. That's, it's been a while. Uh, I would imagine it was twelve. Tw- I was going to say eleven, but you might be right. When was the last time the Browns were in the AFC Championship game? Hey, David, I love you, but I don't see what that. What, uh, are we having that comparison? The drive to John Elway. Uh, I mean, that's my. But that's my point. You're sitting there trying to make a statement about how they've not been living up to the Steeler way for over ten years when they were just in a AFC Championship game seven or eight years ago, and the Browns haven't been in one since basically I've been alive. I, but th- th- so these, when, when sports radio listeners do this, they set these rules that I'm curious if I have to abide by these, because I'm curious. So because I'm a Browns fan, does that mean I could only do three hours of Browns talk? I can't have an opinion on any team no, that's better than the Browns? Because that only limits it to talking. Don't, which, make a, what? Don't, make, don't make an inflammatory statement like they haven't been living up and done, been done. Well, how many? Okay, let me put it this way. How many AFC North Division championships do they have in the last 10 years? 
How many AFC North? I, that, I don't have that total in front of me, but keep in mind, I hear Steelers fans all the time that say, well, you know, it, it's the Patriots. The Patriots have been why, uh, you know, the Steelers haven't been able uh, to get over the hump to get back to the Super Bowl. They, they've they lost. I mean, they, they haven't even played the play- Steelers in the playoffs. I think they played them once in the past decade in the playoffs. Um, and the last time they were in the playoffs, they absolutely got blitzed and destroyed by the Jaguars of all teams. So, I mean, it's look, it, Pittsburgh, it hasn't been Pittsburgh in a while. They're good. They've been good, but they haven't been great since the early 2010s. I, there's only again there's only one team out of the AFC that goes to the Super Bowl and everybody that's I mean and I understand that's what it's about and I understand winning is what it's about but to sit there and act like this hasn't been one of the top three or f- two or three teams in the a- AFC every single year for the last 10 years is just it's delusional the Ravens I mean at least have two Super Bowls over the last 20 years the Ravens and have had so more success than the Steelers. So we're going to go back to the 20. Uh, damn it, I forgot about that one. See, I'm trying to talk. You're right. Kevin, damn it. <laughs> I was going to let y'all have a conversation, but well, you are wrong, dude. I, I was wrong. Me. My bad. I'm admitting I'm wrong. Because no, now you're bringing in Paul Amalu and that whole defense and San Antonio Holmes making the greatest catch in Super Bowl history. Actually, the Steelers got three, three in the last 20 They got years. three. The drum baddest one. Bite me. Okay, fine. You guys win. Got it. I'm wrong. You're right. Next. 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 Uh, uh, the, the only other thing was <laughs> I, I wish we had more time was about the college football with UC yesterday. Um, cause I'll I give you fired. two minutes. I'll give you two. I could extend it by two more minutes. Uh, I don't understand. I understand that you was you, come, you said that they didn't have boohoo crybaby. They had COVID. So does everybody else. But when the schedule is made out for this season and they have three games against big big name schools and those conferences cancel their schedule and then come back two months into the season and we're only doing conference schedules what do you want uc to do there's nothing that they can do okay so then okay that goes but i'm not going to give simp- i'm not going to give them the benefit of the sympathy doubt and just put them in the playoff because well if they could have done something they would have done something they're not putting them in the playoffs. They're, I know that was my whole it's point. A stupid, it's a stupid AP poll that no one cares about. And as of right now, I, with teams playing right now, man, who cares? There's teams in the top ten every year that aren't going to make that aren't going to make the playoffs. Uh, the the rankings don't matter until the playoff rankings come out, anyhow, in in November. So if they put UC right now... But you want to talk about moving the goalposts when that first college football playoff poll comes out and we don't like the way it looks. We'll just say, well, the first one means nothing. All that matters is the last one. And then when the last one comes out, it's rigged. No, I don't say that at all. I mean, this first season I've called in here for a long time. Uh, No, the rankings don't matter, don't mean anything. That's why I don't think a ranking should come out until the first college football playoff. Then why is my opinion about the rankings getting you all fired up? They don't mean nothing. But you can't sit there and say that UC is garbage and trash when they can't play anybody. And you sit there and you bring up their schedule about how they're not playing anybody. Well, they couldn't play anybody because the big boys canceled and then came back and said, well, we're only playing conference games. That's not a use. That's not UC's fault. How the buck? How the how? What, what was the score of the Buckeye game last year when they played? What was the score of the Buckeye game in 2001? Well, that, that was last year. Who cares? Yeah, last year. That, that, I mean, we're talking about this year's. We're talking about this current status of this current Cincinnati team. Last year is not that far off out of the realm of what we're talking about here. You're going back two decades. 
this is a completely different UC football team. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, they barely. I mean, they're not putting it on teams, and they're not even playing good teams. They're barely. How many transfers on the defensive line does UC have from last year? Do you okay. even know? Let's be clear. It's easy to look dominant when you're going up against UCF and Austin P and all those guys. Oh, so now it's now they look dominant when they're going against UCF. Yesterday they did. They couldn't look dominant when they were going against. Yeah. But they're, they, I'm not saying they look dominant. I'm just saying you want to talk about how dominant they look or how dominant they are. I'm not going to give props to a team that's beating up on nobodies. Well, then I guess you shouldn't give props to Ohio State in a couple weeks then. That's true. Especially they're going to have basically an off week in that week eight. Uh, yeah, but we've already talked. We've already had that conversation. They'll take it easy <laughs> I mean, on you. But, hey, I'm out of time. I, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the buzzer. i got to head out. I'll talk to you guys later. Audios. Four five seven nine four six four. Hour two. Next. I totally butchered the Steelers stuff. I just totally butchered it. I get so angry at you Steelers fans. I just start. I, I just hit the mic. Get me out of here. We're done. Live here on ESPN Dayton. Welcome you in. Hour two. Justin Kinner with you here and Kevin Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Browns and Steelers coming up this week. We'll get into some Bengals talk coming up around the corner. Actually, we're going to have Bengals conversation right now. I touched on this at the tail end of yesterday's show. So Hugh Jackson uh, did a podcast uh, yesterday and then some interesting takeaways from his conversation in the podcast. I know people are like, oh, Hugh Jackson, I'm so sick of hearing about him, blah, blah, blah. Let's be clear. There's only one organization that should dislike Hugh Jackson, and that's the Cleveland Browns. And I'm mainly saying that because there was a lot of losing associated with Hugh Jackson. The last time Hugh Jackson was with Cincinnati, things were actually going pretty well. Hugh Jackson was being molded as the replacement for Marvin Lewis, all right? And I think, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure how much better Zach Taylor is than Hugh Jackson. I mean, uh, he's won three games in a year and a half. What do you point at? And he was an interim coach with the Raiders. With the Raiders, yeah. yeah. Went eight and eight yeah. and all that. But, but, but that's uh, like partially how he got the job yeah. with the Browns. So the guy, you know, so Marvin Lewis, or so Hugh Jackson, sorry, does this interview. And he is asked about his biggest regret in his NFL coaching career. And Hugh Jackson responds with, the biggest regret that he has in his NFL coaching career was leaving Cincinnati to take the Browns job. Now, not for the reasons that you think of, oh, course, hindsight's twenty twenty. I didn't win there. That's why I regret going. The reason, um, the reason that he regrets leaving Cincinnati is because he talks about just how great of a situation it was there. He had nothing but praise for the Cincinnati organization. He said the one reason he did leave, though, is because when Mike Brown had a conversation with him about him being the heir apparent to Marvin Lewis when that time came or if they had to move on from him, that made him uncomfortable. Hugh Jackson and Marvin Lewis are real close friends. That's why when the Browns dumped Hugh Jackson a year ago, Marvin Lewis was right there to bring him back, to bring him on the Bengals staff. So, I laugh when I hear, like, the, I don't care. When Browns fans make fun of Hugh Jackson, when Browns fans want to jump all over Hugh Jackson, okay, whatever. Um, there was a lot of losing associated with him. I mean, you look at Kevin Stefanski, he's won more games in his first five games. He's won more games in the first month and a half of the season than Hugh Jackson did uh, in his entire Browns coaching career, including, I mean, he went 0-16 one year and still brought back the next. But if you were a Bengals fan, why, we still, why Bengals fans make fun of Hugh is beyond me. Because Bengals fans were pissed when he left. I know, for me, I'm not a Bengals fan. I was bummed when he left, too, because I was excited about him potentially being the head coach for the Bengals when that time came. I thought he deserved it. We do this all the time. So, for instance, if you look at the Kansas City Chiefs right now and look at Eric Bieniemy, um, 
you know, Eric Bieniemy is getting a lot of credit right now for the way that offense looks. I mean, you look at Andy Reid, he's an offensive juggernaut as well, has a great offensive mind. Every team that he goes to, he takes him to that next level offensively. Eric Bieniemy has a lot of the same offensive scheme and coaching philosophies as, as Andy Reid does, which is why Bieniemy will be the hottest head coaching commodity heading in to this offseason. But here's the problem. And this isn't like this isn't about, you know, Hugh Jacks. You know, this isn't about and when you talk about Bienemy, by the way, it's always, you know, he's gonna be that next African American coach that gets his first opportunity, and if he doesn't, then we start talking about the race issues. There's no parallel between him and Hugh Jackson and that. That's really not what I'm getting at with this. I'm saying for Bienemy, the thing I'm gonna be curious about is is how much of the success of the Chiefs is he responsible for? Because when we did this with Hugh Jackson back in Cincinnati, oh, Andy Dalton, his very best year ever was because, of course, Hugh Jackson. The Bengals' offense looked the best that it did during that stretch of Marvin Lewis because of Hugh Jackson. All right, he got Andy Dalton to look like an MVP caliber quarterback for a short stint of time. That was Hugh Jackson. So we do this all the time where we take coordinators and we say, oh, man, that's who, that they're going to be the next big thing. I can't tell you. Who is that next big thing now that was the ne- or who is the thing now that was the next big thing when they first got a head coaching job? Like, I'm not going to be that obnoxious Browns fan and say Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski is proving right away that he is a great head coach, but it's only five games. I'm not going to overreact to that, so I'm not even going to include him in this conversation. You could talk about Sean McVay. You know, the the McVeigh effect of if anyone even looked in the direction of McVeigh, he they were handed a job because oh man, if you you must if you know any offensive secrets from him, you're just automatically gonna be that's how Zach Taylor got the job with, with Cincinnati. You know, if McVeigh if there was no McVeigh effect, I don't really believe Zach Taylor's a head coach right now. Uh, at all. First of all, he has no business being a head coach. He had never no coordinator experience and just goes from quarterback coach to all of a sudden, you know, a, a head coach. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So this is why I laugh. And I do think that Biennemi is going to be a great head coach. But I laugh when we sit there and say, well, I'm glad the Bengals didn't stick with Hugh Jackson. Who's to say that Hugh Jackson would not have had success with the Cincinnati Bengals? Be, let's be clear. Look at the roster that Hugh Jackson was handed in Cleveland. And this is not me saying Hugh Jackson should be the head coach of any team moving forward. That's definitely not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is at the time, it's easy to look back after what happened in Cleveland and say, oh, man, the Bengals dodged a bullet there. But Hugh Jackson was having... Ample success with Cincinnati's offense. The Bengals were playing their best offensive football when Hugh Jackson was there. So why do I keep hearing Bengals fans rip him so much? Why are so many Bengals fans just disgusted about Hugh Jackson? He uh, he was like the breakup that Cleveland and him had was bad. The breakup between Cincinnati and Hugh wasn't. Mm-hmm. In fact, the same Bengals fans making fun of him now were the same Bengals fans that were upset when he took the job in Cleveland because everyone wanted him to be the head coach instead of Marvin Lewis at the time. So that's what amazes me. So when Hugh Jackson comes out and announces that his biggest regret was leaving Cincinnati because he felt he would have had success there um, and that he feels that he was not put in a position to succeed. Look, I think he's a goofy guy. He's a goofy personality. I think he rubbed people the wrong way. There was a lot of internal uh, issues with that team. I think, you know, you have Todd Haley there, too, who was not looking out. I still think, like Tyrod Taylor, remember how bad he looked this first three games? Like Tyrod Taylor's not that bad. Tyrod Taylor's capable of starting in the National Football League. That's why he was the starter of the Chargers coming into this year. Remember how bad he looked? I'm still, I still think in my head that that year, Todd Haley had everything in his head. I think he had figured that he was the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And the best way to do that was to not have, Ty, was to not have Tyrod Taylor as the quarterback. It was to show that you could win and have success with Baker Mayfield, who they just drafted number one overall. The, the plays he was calling, I remember that game against the Jets where they were, they were calling the strangest plays. They were rolling him out and basically going to the weak side of the line where he had no protection and was just getting drilled and the offense could do nothing. Then Baker comes in and he totally 
changes how he calls the game, and all of a sudden the offense takes off. Then, of course, it led to, you know, behind-the-scenes issues between, you know, Haley and Hugh, and then ultimately both get sent to the room. You know how, like, when one kid thinks, oh, I'm telling mom and dad, you're going to mm-hmm. get it when they get here, and then your parents send both of you to your room? That's basically what happened with Hugh and Todd Haley, uh, and that's how Greg Williams became the head coach. So that whole thing was an absolute mess. Hugh Jackson was being stabbed in the back from multiple different directions in Cleveland. I'm going to put out this disclaimer one more time. I'm not defending Hugh. I don't think Hugh should be the next head coach in Cincinnati. I just, I heard that interview. I heard people, uh, I saw things on social media of Bengals fans just ripping Hugh, and I'm like, what are you, you're not in this fight. Right. You should be defending. He actually did good things for you. He actually put Andy Dalton in the offensive position to maybe win a playoff game. He at least was part of why they got to the playoffs. So I just laugh when Bengals fans chime in on this because he did nothing wrong in Cincinnati as far as I'm concerned. I agree with you. It's a situation where, you know, maybe he, Hugh, was a good number two. You know what I mean? Maybe he was just great at being the number two. You know, everybody's not cut out to be the number one guy, the head coach guy. And maybe in Cincinnati, where he had relationships, things could have worked out better for him and better for his coaching career and better for the Bengals, for that matter. Um, Him taking that job with the Browns, I mean, you know, everybody talks about the uh, 0-16 record and him being brought back for the season and everything like that. Well, let's not act like that the Browns were, like, trying to win games. Like, they were tanky. I mean, the players were still trying. The coaches were still trying to win games. Technically, he executed the ownership's (laughs) game plan. Yeah. Like, there's no better way to get the number one overall pick than to go 0-16. So, congratulations. You did your job. Absolutely. I mean, and you got two first-round picks out of it. And let's not even act like he wasn't out there with Johnny Manziel. And I can't even remember the guy's name. From Oklahoma State, the DB that they drafted in the first round, he was so terrible. Uh, so, like, it wasn't like, oh, Deshaun Kaiser was out there for a couple snaps. Like, like the things that the Browns are executing now, like, everybody can be like, oh, man, they look so great. They look so great and everything like that. And, you know, Stefanski's doing a great coach, coaching job. But, yes, that, that may be true. But the caliber of player that is on the Cleveland Browns now is not the caliber of player that he yes. had to coach. Now, the players that he was coaching in Cincinnati, a young Andy Dalton, a young A.J. Green, those guys were markedly better than the guys he was trying to coach, including Whitworth. You had an offensive yeah. line. Hugh goes on to bring up Whitworth, Whitworth, uh, Whitworth by the way. he's you know He calls out the ownership in there, and he says, look, they made a mistake. He says if, if he would have remained in Cincinnati, he would have been adamant that there is no way you can move on from Whitworth. He would have made that very clear. Uh, he did talk about the deficiencies with the ownership of the Bengals and not addressing that offensive line. And, you know, the, the famous line from uh, Mike Brown that, you know, you can easily, you know, offensive linemen are easy to get, and I find that very ironic coming from him and an organization that right now is about to get their number one prospect just pummeled into the ground and won't play moving forward because that's how bad it's been. Real quick on the Facebook feed. Again, we're live on Facebook. It's the Justin Kinner Show. Uh, it's Kevin Nash on Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show and follow along. Charles Mitchell says, I miss Hugh, and uh, I wish he was our coordinator right now. The Bengals' best years were with Hugh uh, from an offensive perspective. Absolutely. So, and again, this isn't a conversation about bringing Hugh back or anything. All I'm pointing out is I thought that conversation was interesting. He does regret leaving the Bengals, and I just wonder how different the trajectory would have been of the Bengals organization had they moved on from Marvin sooner and maybe gone on to Hugh, because I think Hugh was well-respected within that locker room. Players liked playing for, for Hugh. Things didn't really start going downhill for Hugh until that last year in Cleveland, but again, there was a lot of moving elements mm-hmm. that were working against him. There were coaches talking behind his back. They were turning players against one another, but this is what I mean when and when you start coaching for your for your job, right. you don't care about 
who's there right now. That's why he didn't want to start Baker Mayfield right off the bat. Hugh Jackson didn't want to start Baker Mayfield right off the bat because you're basically, you know, you're going to lose with the rookie quarterback, right. so I'm going to go with the veteran. I need to keep my job. I've argued that about Zach Taylor with with uh, Joe Burrow. Why would you continue to drop him back 40-plus times a game whenever you know that you're absolutely getting him killed? But Zach Taylor knows the best way, the, the only reason we're going to have a shot at winning is by dropping Burrow back and taking advantage of the weapons we have in the passing game. And if it gets Joe Burrow killed, so be it. Because at least it's going to make my resume look better and gives me a shot at getting a head coaching job again. Right. There's only 32 head coaching yep. jobs in the NFL. Those jobs pay a lot of money. So if you just keep handing the ball off and, and just lose, if you go 1-15 in 15 or, you know, they already have a tie, so they have that going for them, <laughs> uh, you know, then it doesn't look as good. So Zach Taylor's coaching for his next job right now. I, he's not going to be the coach of this team when they enter that next phase of success, in my opinion. So I am curious, you know, Biennemi could p- potentially be brought up as a potential candidate in Cincinnati after this season. Although, if I'm Biennemi, I'm like, no, no, thank you. I'm not going to go. You you wanted me. Uh, you know, I wanted to come there, what, two years ago? And you hired Zach Taylor, a guy with no experience whatsoever. And how'd that work out for you? Although Joe Burrow might be a reason why the enemy's like that. Because it's all about the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about the quarterback. And you got to trust that ownership's going to provide you with the weapons you need. Well, will coaches out there trust that Mike Brown give them the weapons that they need to win? That's yeah. going to be the big thing. You talk about Eric the enemy, but we got to talk about Andy Reid and his coaching tree. We talk about Matt Nagy. He's coaching the Bears. Um, whatever we want to say about that record right now, they're still four and one, you know, and them changing coaches, but they're still four and one. Uh, we talk about Doug Peterson; he won the Super Bowl. We can talk about uh, how terrible Carson Wentz is playing, but still, fact remains, he's the head coach in the NFL and he won a Super Bowl. Matter of fact, won a Super Bowl before Andy Reid won a Super Bowl. Um, also, who? Uh, what's dude? What's Buffalo's head coach name? McDermott, Sean McDermott, he's also from the Andy Reid coaching tree. And I think that's what it boils down to in the NFL, man. Like, people want to see you do something with the top guy. Like, you know, we talked about where guys coming from the L.A. Rams system and people getting jobs left and right. Andy Reid's been turning out coaches left and right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but not all of them have been offensive minds. Right, Andy Reid. Right. So, like, when to say that Biennium is going to be successful just because all the other Andy Reid coaching tree guys have done well, those guys were all defensive-minded guys, or they, you know, they weren't guys that were responsible for the Andy Reid's responsible for the offense. And I still think that that's what hurts Biennium is that teams out there are not completely sold that hey, that well, the I offensive mean, genius Peter, Peterson and uh, Matt Nagy were offensive coordinators on the yeah. Andy look Reed. how good Matt Nagy's doing. Four and one, and they they all, by the way, they're the worst four and one team in football. <laughs> what kind of team at three and one makes a quarterback change? A they bad just, one. They just beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Over the four. What is it? Fourth down, fifth down, sixth down, just, seventh hey, down. Doug Peterson was offensive coordinator. He's won a Super Bowl. Like these things happen. And shoot, I mean, you're right. Like uh, Sean McDermott, he's a defensive head coach. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Harbaugh coach under Andy Reid. He was a special teams coordinator when he was in Philly. He's won a Super Bowl. He's under the Andy Reid tree. I think that that has a lot to talk about. How like when they pluck the next guy or who's going to be the next superstar coach that everybody wants because let's not forget Hugh Jackson was the guy he would like you can we can talk about whatever his record was with the Cleveland he Browns. was the Eric Bieniemy he was the that guy time. that everybody wanted and he chose the Browns because he had his pick of the litter he could have went to any job he wanted to that was available but he chose the Browns so let's not get that twisted. It was end up being ultimately the wrong decision because they went on sixteen. But you know, let's not act like he was. Oh man, why did they hire him? He's terrible. 
They were hired a nobody. No, you did that the next time when you hired Kitchens. All right, coming up, top of the hour, 5 o'clock. About 40 minutes from now, we'll get into our top five, bottom five, top five teams in the NFL, our bottom five teams in the NFL. We'll both give you our top five, bottom five, 40 minutes from now. But when we come back, again, there is a team out there that is intrigued by the possibilities of hiring Tony LaRussa. Tony LaRussa, 76 years old, former Cardinals manager, has not managed in quite some time, now in the front office with the Angels. Uh, He's been granted permission to interview with a particular team, and this team is fairly interesting, if you ask me, as far as that's concerned. So, we'll get into that coming up around the corner. The Dayton Flyers versus WSU. Yeah! It's official. I'll tell you when and where. Next. John McManus is running hard to be our Montgomery County treasurer. Montgomery County is already one of the highest tax counties in the state. It seems like every day we're being told to pay higher and higher taxes. Now, in the middle of a pandemic, we're told to get ready for another tax increase next year. When John McManus was vice president of... We welcome you back. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM, 457-9464. That's the number. I'm looking really looking forward to this. Take a look at the bracket. Again, we're live on Facebook. Head to Facebook, search the Justin Kenner Show. You could watch along, listen to stream, and now watch. Watch the show. So um, the crossover classic that the Dayton Flyers are participating in will tip off on November 25th and 27th. It's a field that includes West Virginia, Texas A&M, Ohio State, Memphis, Creighton, Utah, Wichita State, and Dayton. So this is a fantastic field. Um, I'm a little bummed um, that uh, Ohio State and Dayton are really kept apart in this. Now they could end up matching up in the championship round, which how cool would that be uh, if that actually happened uh, as far as that's concerned. But the last time Wichita State and UD played, uh, it was a few years ago in the NCAA tournament. The last time UD advanced to the NCAA tournament. Technically they advanced last year, but there was no tournament. Archie Miller's last year, the last group with Kendall uh, uh, Kendall Pollard, Scoochie Smith, Kyle Davis, Charles Cook, and those guys. Uh, that was that was an amazing game. That was an intense game, and it was a it was a bummer of a way to end the season, considering all the hype and the expectations going in. But UD against Wichita State, November twenty fifth. Uh, it'll be eight thirty. Uh, PM for that tip-off right there. Again, they would go on to face the winner between Creighton and Utah, which let's be uh, Dayton versus Utah, uh, versus Creighton would be huge. Um, and then to get to the semifinal round where you could potentially, or the championship round, I'm sorry, where you could potentially run into Ohio State or Memphis. I mean, West Virginia would be too uh, would be cool too, Kev. Mm-hmm. But I mean, holy smokes, I would there. I would love to see Memphis. Like I want to see UD Ohio State. But if I can't see Ohio State and UD play, I would love to see UD and Memphis go head-to-head. Penny Hardaway, I would love to see that group. <laughs> you just want to see Penny Hardaway. No, oh, I can go into this damn thing. You know, I can go. You know he's not going, playing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, but he's done a great job at Memphis. For sure, for he's sure. He's put them on the map, man. And Memphis hasn't been a terrible basketball program, but he's really elevate, taking advantage of the connections he had in the AAU route and really bringing that with them. I mean, we're starting to see a, you know, a different style of coaching in college. And, and again, it's the the relationships formed at the AAU level and stuff. I, I love the job that he's doing over there uh, at Memphis, as far as that's concerned. This is an impressive field. I love this. I this, you know, last year Maui was. Was fun. Got yeah. to see UD go up against Georgia, against Michigan. Or, you know, they got to go up against Georgia. I wanted to see them go up against Michigan State. But the, how about the Kansas game, though? That was like one that of my all time favorite games. Just not the outcome uh, that we all wanted as far as that's concerned. Um, other news involving your Dayton Flyers. Uh, just got this press release a little bit ago. Dwayne Cohill uh, will 
miss the entire 2020 uh, season coming up. Uh, this is, of course, a press release. Uh, Doug Hoschild, SID for the Dayton Flyers, sent this out a little bit ago that the University of Dayton has announced that junior uh, that junior uh, guard Dwayne Cohill has suffered an ACL tear to his left knee mm. and will miss the entire 2020-2021 men's basketball season. The injury occurred during a non-contact drill as part of a basketball workout on Saturday, October 12th, so just over the weekend. Uh, that's devastating news for a team that uh, obviously they're getting, uh, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of returning players back, but of course you lose a lot of your, you know, your senior leadership. You, you lost a lot of guys in, in Mike Sell, um, in Landers, and obviously, who's the other guy? The two best players for them, right? They were, they were, oh yeah, that Obi Toppin fella. Did he play much last year? Yeah, that that's going to be a tough. Uh, that's going to be tough to really uh, replace that. But they do have Jalen Crutcher still, which is going to be huge. This is good. It's still going to be a good team. I don't think they're going to be remotely close to as good as what they were a year ago. But led behind Jalen Crutcher and the job that Anthony Grant's done, uh, they're still going to be in good shape. And it's interesting. So I saw that. Uh, you know that. So that and then the first four. Yeah. The first four has been extended. The contract for that has been extended. That's great news, too. Look, we knew that when UD was making all those, you know, adjustments to the arena, you know, everything that they did for that, I thought it was interesting um, that, you know, I was curious to see, you know, was that going to lead to more first-round NCAA first-round tournament appearances here and stuff like that. But we at least know that they have extended the contract on the NCAA first four, uh, and that will remain in Dayton through 2026. One of the biggest things I love about the first four is the – you know, the two uh, 12 seeds or the two eight seeds, like those teams that are really on the bubble playing there because you get some big time matchups there. I remember the year that uh, I went to the game. It was uh, Syracuse and they played Arizona State. It was a real good game. So I always think I've been to the first four at least, I don't know, at least five years in a row until they stopped this upcoming season. Well, this past season, so yeah, it was a great event for the city. Uh, brings a lot of revenue to the city. We all love that and a good time. You get to see Syracuse. Yes, sir. A few years ago. Yes, sir. So. Made a run to the Sweet 16 that year. Yeah, and that's been fun. So, I mean, you get to see. I love the, the, the changes that they've made to that. Look, and people get – I love when people try to downplay the first four. Like, when they try Ooh. to act like it's not like – because it's, you know, why do they – and by the way, I mean, the branding of it. I've always said this. I hate that they call the wild card the wild card. I hate that – I mean, when you basically take a postseason – birth in any sport like so like the wild card in, in baseball the wild card in football why does that have a separate title it's just the playoffs and the first four is the ncaa tournament sometimes i think it, they work against themselves by branding it the first four because you are literally branding it something separate from what it actually is and that's the ncaa tournament so it drives me nuts with that branding but when i've heard people who have criticized it saying um you know at the end of the day it's one of those things where Oh, well, you know, it's just the first four, the first four. You know, the, the games don't really matter till the first round. Well, that's not true. The wild card, is, in essence, right. is the same thing in Major League Baseball. The wild card is the same thing in football. I hate that we brand it like that because it's the playoffs. You know, it's, in Major League Baseball, it's that one game wild card. I hate that it's only one game. You play 162 just to play one. But it is the playoffs. If you right. qualify for the wild card, it is the playoffs. If you, if, you know, if you qualify for the first four, that's the NCAA tournament. When UD made the first four years ago, they were so offended by it. It was like a slap in the face. And I'm like, look. It's only a slap in the face because that's the NCAA's fault. They've they've branded that to be something that is outside looking into the tournament. I, think that's I don't just, like you that. You know, because they had a final four. Like, well, what's the first four games going to be? Oh, we go to the opening four, or whatever they call it. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I always feel a type of way when it's the 16 seeds playing up against each other for the right to go play Duke. The 
two days later and everything like that. I've always been a proponent of let it be those bubble teams. Let it just be all bubble teams, like whatever. Let's say it's uh, NC State and Purdue, and it's uh, Syracuse and Arizona State, uh, Texas Tech and Vanderbilt, whomever is on the bubble, like those schools from the uh, Power Five conferences that people kind of know and have recognition with that are on the bubble. Let all of them play because I believe that, you know, that would bring more eyeballs to the TV. Us in town, this is Dayton. We're, we love college basketball, so we're going to go see whomever. But just like more viewers, you know, let Jackson State, let Wright State go ahead and play Kentucky on Friday and get their doors blown off and everything like that. But I really think it should just be all those true bubble teams to play in the first four. My thing is this, like if Wright State ever made the first four, Woo! which by the way, you know, you really do. It's it's the weirdest thing. It's very difficult to make the first four as the 16th seed. Like, you have to be really bad, but you have to be really, really bad to be a 16 seat. Yeah. And, like, I'm not trying to be funny here. It's difficult to be a seat. I would love to see Wright State play the first four because, you know, for one, you have, a chance to, you have a chance to get <laughs> a win in the NCAA yes. tournament. Like, that still counts. If Coach Scott Nagy takes Wright State to the NCAA tournament and they play in the first four and they get a win over another 16, it's still an NCAA tournament win, right? Like, you get, yes. so, like, it, a win's a win, especially in March. So, I, that's just one of those I always find fascinating as far as that's concerned. Uh, but, no, like, you go to UD Arena for the first four, it's the NCAA tournament-like atmosphere. It's amazing. It doesn't. I give UD credit though. That atmosphere, that arena, that it, we talk about the first four like it's something separate from the tournament. It's not. UD makes it feel like it is the NCAA tournament. So you can brand it however you want. So we talked to Browns earlier, and we'll get back into some more college basketball stuff a little bit later. Uh, news about how the you know I'm curious how teams are going to do scheduling this year in the Horizon League for Wright State. They're gonna they're gonna be playing an interesting type of conference schedule this year. I'll explain the change in that coming up here in just a moment. Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers coming up. We talked about the, the perception of that matchup, and uh, I want to talk a little bit with our friend Steve from Springboro, the true American. What up, dude? Please say you heard our conversation earlier. Uh, no, I just got off from work a little while ago, dude, so I called just to tell into what. Uh, anyway, should I put your uh, partner in crime there? Do you think he might? I've not met the guy, so I'm going to reserve Jeff. Oh, you've met Kev. You've met Kev at the Sunday morning show. You know who Kev is. Uh, I don't think so. We've like, met. We've met. You, you, you know, you, you, you little, you have fun on Sunday mornings. You probably just don't remember. You've met Kevin. Well, anyway, you know, I, he he made the comment about neither he or I coached or played. Well, I did coach and play, so I just, you know, we were talking about yesterday the Pittsburgh uh, Cleveland outcome. You know, so uh, I can remember, and he wasn't even probably alive yet in '89 when uh, Bud Carson went to uh, Three River Stadium, spanked them bad, 51 zip. I just was talking about that with the cardiac well, kids okay, well. and, you know, Bryant Sight and all those type of teams. No, I grew Bernie, up, I, Bernie, I, I was alive then. Bernie I grew up in the 80s. Back then, dude. That was Bernie. No, I'm talking about, like, I remember the cardiac kids. Like, oh, that's, okay. like, my first time, yeah, man, like, really been, being. You must have been in diapers then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. The, for sure, for <laughs> so sure. I just want to know, I just want to know why you're such a Steeler fan. Was it grandpa, daddy, or what? No, nah, uh, my mom and my brother are Steeler fans. Our, our family is divided. Family, really? family divided. Well, you know, my grandmother's a Browns fan. God my dad's a Browns fan. She's a great grandmother. <laughs> she is. She's the best. I just saw her this past weekend. She must have. She must have been giving you the bottle at one time and maybe <laughs> dropped you in your head and turned you against the Browns. Only thing I can figure, my man. Yeah, that's and that's what we were expressing earlier in the show. You know, uh, we were talking about how you know Pittsburgh. Some Pittsburgh Steelers fans just take this game for granted. I've never taken it for granted because I remember the '80s. You know, yeah. and people are unfamiliar with the '80s. 
the Browns were the dominant team, and there were games that they were beating the Steelers 59 to nothing and just bludgeoning the Steelers and Kevin yeah, Mack yeah. Uh, running people over left and right. So I remember those games. So I don't ever take a game versus your biggest rival for granted. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this matchup. Just, just respect the history, and there's a whole lot of Pittsburgh fans out there, and I work with a few youngs, that, uh, and I've been trying to school them here lately on the history of their team. And this is just my opinion. If you don't know the history of your team, then don't tell me you're a true fan. So I laid some stuff on him. I said, well, uh, remember your first draft pick when you guys, because I, I can remember when Steelers couldn't buy a game. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you guys remember your first draft pick? Well, first ever? No, well, when it, when they came, when they, uh, <clears throat> was it 69-70? Okay. Uh, it was either Mike Webster or Mean Joe Green. I know which one was it, my man. Is one of them. Now nah, you come on now. Come <laughs> hey, on now. Mike Webster. Nope. Mean job. Joe. There you go. See Close there. enough. They come both in the Hall of Fame. You're going to be a diehard fan. <laughs> and who was your head coach? I almost said Bill Cowher. Uh, uh, I know I'm, who it I'm is. Stumping him. I'm stumping him, man. It ain't. It's not stomping me. It's just I just don't know. Chuck Noll. Chuck Noll. Chuck Noll. The great yeah. Chuck Noll. Yeah, uh, it was a guard for a, a, a Hall of Famer for the not a Hall of Famer, but a Pro Bowler for the Browns as a guard, messenger guard back in the day. And then uh, your boy Bill Cower, who played and coached in Cleveland with Marty, mm-hmm. took you to the next one. So you're 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 welcome, man. <laughs> Glad we helped you out there. Appreciate but, it. I don't, what's what's the? Uh, I saw that. I know they're favored by four and a half. What's the over under? Because I, I think I'm going to go with the over under on some bets. Fifty. Fifty. Yes, I can see that. I can see that because I don't think, I, honest to God, I don't think there's going to be much defense. I think it's going to come down to you know, like it does in about every game. You know, no turnovers, field position, yada yada yada. But I, I, I can see it hanging maybe on one big play. Whoever has the ball last. And yeah, the, the one thing I am worried about though is like last year the went like. The Steelers took the run game away from Cleveland both games last year. Now again, different offensive line, different type of team. So. <laughs> But I mean, we'll, we'll find. I mean, that offensive line's legit. I'm not questioning that at all. But if Pittsburgh, you know, that the one thing about Pittsburgh, I'm not maybe not really 100 percent sold on their offense, but that defense is pretty solid for well, I'm, uh, I'm, for, for Pittsburgh. I'm uh, our back end of the defense is what I'm worried about. Me too. Zandeo, somebody needs to sit him down. He sucks. He gets burnt. Uh, the first four games this year, he has been burnt. I, I he he sucks. I don't know. I love the Joseph kid. I wish we could have got Del Pitt. In there this year, even as a rookie, I think he could have. I, I wasn't ready to put him in as a Don Rogers or an Eric Turner type, but I think he was. I think he can be that kind of guy. But uh, you do realize if uh, correct me and I'll let you go. I'll get off here so you can get somebody else. Uh, I do believe if the Ravens lose Sunday, we beat you guys at Ketchup Field. I believe that puts us in first place. Would that be correct? I think it's yeah. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll yeah. put y'all five and one. Them yeah. uh, Ravens yeah, four, four and two. Yeah, there you Steelers, go. Steelers four and one. Yeah, there you go. All right, guys, I'll call you later on this week. All right, there he is, Steve from Spring. But I tell you, I forgot to tell him again. And we're going to be live out at Frickers on 741 starting October 25th, the first, the Sunday, the Browns and Bengals game, of course, but the first Sunday after Ohio State's first game, we'll be doing the show live out there. It'll be the Sunday morning tailgate show, College Football Hall of Famer Keith Byers and myself. We will be live at Frickers on 741 by the Dayton Mall, uh, bringing the show back. So we're excited about that. It'll be from 1130 to 1 p.m. We'll walk you right up to kickoff of that day's NFL games. We're super pumped about that to be able to get back out to Frickers uh, and host the show live on the 
road. Myself, Keith Byers, again, the Sunday morning tailgate show will return Sunday, October 25th at Frickers on 741 by the Dayton Mall. Speaking of Frickers, get your weekly picks submitted for the NFL Pro Pick'em Challenge at wingam.com. Go to wingam.com and get your picks submitted. $25 in Frickers Fun Bucks awarded to the weekly winners. Uh, David, I saw that you're asking in the Facebook post about how to pick that up one way. Well, come out to Frickers. We'll, 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 get, we'll get you your prize there. I'll be in touch with you after of how you can come and pick up that prize outside of your regular working hours. So we will get that figured out uh, for you. But, yeah, that's returning again. The Sunday Morning Tailgate Show presented by Frickers at Frickers, 741 by the Dayton Mall. That'll be returning on the October 25th. Um, Browns Bengals week, of course, and then day after the Buckeye game. So Keith Byers and myself looking forward to that when we bring that back coming up here in just a few weeks. All right, we'll step away for a few moments. Tony LaRusso, let's talk baseball when we come back. Tony LaRusso will be managing again, possibly in 2021. I'll tell you who he's interviewing with. The Angels approved the interview. And you'd have to think if the Angels approve him going out for an interview that he's showing interest in potentially managing again. Where could Tony LaRusso end up? How can it impact the Reds? We'll get to that next. Where the hell you get this beat from? Are you, it's in the system. <laughs> this sounds like something that should be played at Diamonds. Back at... <laughs> Sounds like something you hear at Diamonds, huh? Yes, sir. You go to Diamonds for the music? <laughs> for the wings. <laughs> the wings. That, this ain't Atlanta now. <laughs> to be honest, it's Dayton, so you probably should go for the wings. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I'm, I got my hand on the dump button, man. Yeah. You know how you like to get it. I, the bitty bar. <laughs> what? You made up that rule. That is not an FCC violation. I'm pretty sure I've, I've had a few, but that's not one of them. I'm going to Google <laughs> Someone just said they have wings at Diamond. See, we're... <laughs> Do they? Wings? You can bring in your own beer. That's the best part. Oh, not a beer guy? <laughs> Give us a call. 457-9464. We're going to be live out at... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we should you know, this. We won't do that. You know, COVID... Amongst other diseases. <laughs> okay, stop. You know, this is ridiculous. I'm trying to be adults. Trying to be adults here. Four five seven nine four six or for real. Okay, that's the diamonds theme, apparently. I had no idea when I loaded that in that, that was that there was a you know, okay. <laughs> so Tony LaRussa is going to interview for a potential job in Major League Baseball. He's going to return to potentially managing back in Major League Baseball. And 457-9464, by the way. We'll open up the phone lines if you want to call in as we close out this crazy second hour here. Already off to a bad start. So, Tony La Russa has not managed in quite some time. He spent 16 seasons with the St. Louis Cardinals. And, he, of course, that came to an end back in 2011. Uh, again, it was a season that ended in La Russa's third World Series championship. Uh, and... I find it interesting. He's 76 years old in a sport where it's all about going younger because it's all about you know embracing the advanced analytics era, and there's just no way that the older managers are going to be willing to accept the new way that baseball is being played. So I find this interesting that this is a direction that this franchise could potentially go in. The Chicago White Sox, after moving on from Renteria, again, Renteria has been fired by the Cubs and now the White Sox, okay? Uh, but they are looking to go in that direction. So they ended up getting approval from the 
Angels. And again, the Angels have granted the White Sox permission to interview Tony La Russa for their managerial opening, a source told ESPN earlier today. And of course, it was a report that was confirmed uh, with USA Today. Um, I like the White Sox roster. It's a, that's a division that's ripe for the taking right now because the Indians are about to hit the reset button. Um, they are about to... What's that? Oh, okay. They are about to, of course, um, you know, move on from Francisco Lindor, which, by the way, it's crazy how many reports are out there, at least just rumor mill stuff about the Reds and how they actually, when you look at the pieces that the Indians need, the Reds actually have a lot of the pieces that the Indians would be interested in. The problem is, is the Reds, I don't see how there's any financial flexibility for them to be able wants, to do so. He, so wants, he wants $300 million. Yeah, he didn't get, but that's the thing. I don't think he's getting $300 million. I think the best thing going for the Reds is that COVID really kind of is going to bring down the asking prices for a lot. No team out there is going to do that. Now, I say that, but there have been teams in other sports that have made, I mean, look, where it's acting as if, oh, no sports team is going to operate under those conditions anymore because of COVID, but you have a quarterback in the NFL that just got half a billion dollars. Yeah, so, Mookie Betts just got Mookie Betts, $400 million. Um, but I don't know. Wh- I don't see how. 300 mil. I just don't see him getting that. Maybe 200. I could see 200. 300 million dollars? I mean, I'm a big Frankie fan. I wish he would be able to stay, but I don't think I can give him 300 million dollars. I mean, look, Fado's contract's about to be up. You're going to have 25 mil off the books uh, per year coming up here in about a year or two, I believe. So, uh, you know, and that would mean if the Reds really did have to heavily pursue him, that. Bauer is probably not coming back to Cincinnati, and I don't even know how heavily they're going to go after him. I do think that the Reds look at, okay, this rotation was one of the best in baseball. We might lose the main cog in that rotation, but we can go get just as good. Another, we can go get another pitcher that's just as good, maybe not just as great, but just as good that would serve, you know, you know, he, he would provide a, a, a very good arm in that rotation and then use that extra money to go elsewhere. I'm watching the playoffs, and I'm like, okay, the Reds pitching staff did look like the other pitching staffs in baseball. They matched up. The, but what I'm seeing, especially out of the Rays, what I'm seeing even the Astros, even though they're making a lot of, you know, Altuve's making a lot of errors in the field, the Yankees and others, I know the Yankees have been beat with the Braves, the position players, the, you, know, um, you know, the offensive side and the defensive, that's where the Reds just did not stack up mm-hmm. at all. Um, and that's why they just got stifled basically against the Braves and their pitching staff. Which I think the Braves have only given up like five or six total runs this entire playoff run. So maybe you know, yes, the Reds disappeared. Don't get me wrong, but they have not. Not that's not that can't be right. I read that stat on Twitter just before coming on. I'm like that. I didn't know if that looked right or not. But either way, I found that interesting. He's not getting three hundred thousand or three hundred mil. No, there's just no way. I don't think so. I, I just don't see it feasible unless it is. The, but why would the Dodgers get him? Is it the only team that I could see paying that type of money who actually needs him is the Red Sox. But they just unloaded a ton of money last year, and I don't think that they are going to go in on that money and that contract now when, unless they're like planning ahead. I, I don't know. But if I'm him, I'm not going to a rebuilding Red Sox team. You know, the Yankees have dumped a lot of money into that's Garrett Cole and others. That's all baseball players do. So they, I just don't see him going to Boston. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that right now you're starting to see a lot of, I mean, the Padres came into play. Uh, you, you know, they, they, there's a lot of teams that are coming out of nowhere that are offering big bucks to guys. If I'm the Reds, I'd do it. Man, I do it. I don't think I don't. The think Reds they are good for it. The Red, they, people said the same thing about Votto. You, he wants. You said two hundred mil. They gave two hundred plus mil to Joey Votto. But that's when we were allowed to go to stadiums like teams like the Reds and teams like the Indians. Shoot, uh, Pirates. They count on us, me and you, going to the stands, going to the games, buying tickets, buying five hundred dollar hot dogs, buying beers, and having a good time. Like they depend on that money. Like when you don't have that 
revenue coming in from the fans, that affects your bottom line big time. Forbes listed the Reds as a billion-dollar team. Yeah, every team is listed. They have the money. Don't want to hear it. They have every the money. Team, every major team is a billion-dollar team. Your your value is that, but you're not a billion-dollar team until somebody cuts you a check for a billion dollars. No, you, no, you have the money. They have the There's money. no way they have that, that type of money. And that's fine, and that's why they'll just continue floating around in the, you know, and the, they won't swim in the deep end. That's fine. That's why the Reds do this. We're going to have a two-year window every 10 years where we're competitive, and I, I fear that this was that two-year window because you're about to lose Bauer. Votto is nothing anymore. Castellanos probably won't come back. And Moustakis, who you have for another year or two, he really didn't do anything. Suarez just disappeared this year for whatever reason. Like, there's a lot of issues with this Reds team that can be fixed if they just said, hey, we're gonna put our t- our team's gonna be in a bad spot here in a couple years, but man, we that's why you got to go all in right now. Open up the pocketbook, you know. Open and by the way, you sign him to a two hundred fifty million dollar contract doesn't mean for ten years doesn't mean you keep him for ten. Guys get moved all the time. Alex yeah. Rodriguez, I mean, guys with big contracts get moved all the time. The Reds can commit to two hundred fifty mil if they want to for ten years. Keep them for three, and when it's time to hit the rebuild button, unload them for prospects, and boom. That's how you're going to replant. In fact, that's how I look at it as an investment. I do pay him the money he wants. I give him whatever contract he wants because they ain't going to pay it. When they trade him, that money's going away. So to me, it's right now if the Reds wanted to hit the reset button, they don't have good enough pieces to get anything of significance as far as really good prospects from other teams out there. If you go get him, you get Francisco Lindor, you give him that money, in three years or two years if the Reds say, you know what, we went we went for it, didn't work, trade Francisco Lindor away, you're going to get two or three top prospects from an organization that want him, and then you've replenished your farm system, and now you're hitting the reset. That's what the Reds are going to do. Two years, there are going to be two legit competitive years every ten years. That's just the unfortunate reality of a small market team. And I hate that term because you're only small market because you choose to be. I'm not saying they're going to spend like the Yankees, but they don't have to spend the way they have been. That's why last year I was impressed with the fact that they you know, took that step forward. I will say this as a Cleveland Indians fan. There's a problem on your team, and this would, would be the problem with the Reds as well, when your shortstop is your power hitter. Like him and... Him being the offensive weapon for the last three years for the Cleveland Indians end up being a problem. They had no big bats in the lineup. I mean, I know he'll be a big bat for the Reds because they have no big bats this year, but $300 million is a lot of money, man, and I don't think that they can afford to do that because I know the Cleveland Indians can't at all, and I don't think like, that the money between the Cleveland Indians and the Reds are that far between that, like, oh, yeah, they can afford it and they can't. Like, I just think that's a Every lot of money. Every team can afford it. <laughs> you can't tell me that they can't. You, you said $200 million for Francisco Lindor. Yeah. They gave 225 to Joey Votto. Why is that? Because that's where the world was open. The world is closed, Actually, $225 million has looked as small. No. Yes, it is. Now Joey Votto's contract doesn't even look that big compared to what everyone else is getting. Talk about $350 million, $400 million for some of these guys. I, I don't think that, that you know... And by the way, 200 mil probably won't be enough to get him. Oh, no, because I, I, I'm a firm believer that he's going to the uh, Red Sox for at least $300 million. Okay. We'll see. Reds, go get him. <laughs> be it, you know, you want to be a big boy, you want to be an adult, you want to sit at, you know, you try to sit at the kid's table, go get him. All right, uh, 457-9464, David Shaw says next season the world will open. Don't let it dominate you, Kev. We'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash. Next, Hour 3, when we come back, top five, bottom five. Top five teams in the NFL, bottom five. We'll give you ours. We'll hear from yours. Don't go anywhere.
The Justin Kinner Show, live here on ESPN Dayton. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, back with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Big weekend in college football, a lot of big ones. How about Alabama and Georgia? I know a lot of people are looking forward to that one. How about LSU in Florida? I cannot wait for that. Oh, wait. It doesn't matter if I can't wait. I have to wait. The game is postponed. Rona. Due to the Rona. And this is just days. This news comes just days after head coach, after the head coach for Florida. Uh, and Dan Mullen said, look, uh, you know, he, he comes out and says that, that they should be, that everyone should look at them as the model of how to follow safety protocols for co- the, for the coronavirus. Like, I, I kid you not. Literally, tw- I mean, not even 24 hours after he goes on to say that Florida is the epitome of what all programs should look at in regards to following safety protocols to protect themselves against the coronavirus. Not even 24 hours later, we are talking about how Florida has now postponed their game with LSU. Keep in mind, this is just a few days after Dan Mullen was, of course, fighting to have 90,000 fans <laughs> pack their home stadium. Uh, I just found, I mean, irony is so funny uh, sometimes. Florida shut down its football program on Tuesday after a, member, uh, after a number of tests came back positive. Florida now has 18 positives among scholarship players and three walk-ons. Athletic Director Scott Strickland said on Wednesday... Uh, Dan Mullen said that two assistants have also tested positive, but both were asymptomatic. Uh, He goes on to say that when you add in those who are quarantined through contact tracing as a result of those positives, in addition to a handful of players on the non-COVID list, it gives us less than 50 scholarship players available, Strickson said. So David Shaw says still zero hospitalized. Well, whenever we ask how many are hospitalized, I'll make sure uh, that we start acknowledging this. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, mean, I'm just saying. These are positive tests. I, I don't know what that means. I mean, it's still a pandemic. It's still a virus that is going around. I mean, I, I, I don't get why we are still, after March, still doing this game of, oh, yeah, well, the, no, how many deaths? So what's the, what's the death rate? It doesn't matter at this point. I don't care what people think about this virus. The bottom line is, is when the virus strikes, game stop. So I don't give a flying rip what your opinion is about the stupid virus. It's freaking October, and we're still doing these stupid comments about, yeah, but what's the death rate on this thing? Who cares? Because you want to know what? That death rate for the coronavirus that may not be so high to you, I don't even care about that stuff right now. All I'm saying is is that it takes one test to postpone a game. I don't care about the severity of what, how, I don't care how severe you think the Rona is, all right? It doesn't matter because when it comes, when it hits and there's a player that tests positive, they stop the damn game. They stop the damn. He says the NFL didn't stop. The, the NFL did stop. How many time, How many games have we postponed? How many games have we moved? We just had Tuesday night freaking football. Why did we have Tuesday night freaking football? Oh yeah, because the Rona. So look, this isn't about our opinions anymore of whether we think it's serious or not. The bottom line is, and this is a fact. I know people like to they like they like to create their own facts. Facts are this. By the way, Troy High School, they just had to forfeit their playoff game because, well, the Rona. Oh, but the death rate, you the, the death, it doesn't matter. The the Rona. No game. Fairborn. Fairborn had to cancel their playoff game. They had to just forfeit. You went through everything. They those football those kids everything. went through everything to prepare for the playoffs. Positive test. No football. Oh, but the death rate, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, how long have people been waving the flag about the damn death rate? It doesn't matter. You're wasting your time. You're tiring yourself. You're wearing me out. You're annoying me. Just stop it. No one cares about that argument anymore because regardless of your opinion about the virus, it's not slowing the reaction down as far as how teams are handling it. Oh, well, they're not going to play this weekend because of the virus. That's stupid. That's great. Cool opinion. There's still no game. 
Your opinion is not going to change the fact that there's no dang game this coming up weekend. And every time we bring up anything like that, my inbox gets flooded, my emails get flooded. I don't care about your opinion about the virus right now because you've been saying that, and not really calling out anyone in particular. It's the mass of people that light up my inbox with this. Everyone that likes to try to tell me their opinion about the virus, I don't care your opinion about the virus. Everyone has been trying to tell me their opinion on the virus since March, and you know what? It's meant nothing. No matter how stupid you think the virus is, we still can't drink at bars past 10 o'clock. We still can't go out and do what we used to. Football is not the same. Sports aren't the same. The NBA just wrapped up in October instead of July because of the nothing's the same. So regardless of your opinion about this virus, at the end of the day, the virus has impacted everything, including high school football, college. So to sit there and say that the NFL, oh, what, the, the NFL hasn't been impacted. Really? The Titans just play Tuesday night football. The Titans are morons. The Titans almost ruined it all, by the way, just to get that out. But, yeah, I, you know, regardless, I feel bad for Troy, the kids, you know, the football players at Troy, the football players at Fairborn. I feel bad for them. Mm-hmm. You can sit there and say, oh, well, the, the, the death rate, the death, that doesn't mean anything. Because the second that a positive test hits, boom. Tough act interacted. Boom! It's done. It's over. There's no game. Let's go to uh, if we still have him waiting on hold. Jay, please be here. Jay, what's your opinion on the coronavirus, my friend? Jay and Franklin, how are you? I'm here. I'm still here. So what do you think? No, I'm just joking. All right. You have a story about Joe Thomas. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Hey, uh, so I want to preface this conversation by saying that uh, I'm a Dolphins fan. I was born and raised in Ohio. Okay. Uh, it's 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 miserable, but I, but I'm going to say this: I I do not understand the hate for the Cleveland Browns. I can't I can't wrap my head around it. And first reason is they're they're the underdogs. It's the classic underdog story, you know. Why, why wouldn't you want Cleveland to be good? Uh, and then the second is is Joe Thomas. I mean, is Joe Thomas not the ultimate company man? I mean, that guy he played in Cleveland for what how many years? And he was the best left tackle in the game. Yeah, I feel bad that the second he steps out of the game, that's when things become fun for Cleveland, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, he's going to go down. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, and I, and I don't know if they keep track of the stat, but I bet he'll be the uh, have the least amount of wins for any Hall of Famer ever. Yeah, that's a good point. Never thought about that. You know, so I mean, you're, he's the best loser in the Hall of Fame. I mean, <laughs> he's, a great, he's a great player. But anyway, I met Joe Thomas in Afghanistan in 2009. Really? Yeah, him and a butt, and he wasn't in a place. Uh, he wasn't in the green zone. You know, he was. He went to a place where not a lot of people go visit. What were, what were they there for? Uh, just the USO trip. Just the USO trip. Okay. Yeah, come raise some morale for us. So we took him around the base. Thank you for your service. Yes, I appreciate. I appreciate that. Thank you. So uh, you weren't just hanging out in Afghanistan one day, just having to run into him, <laughs> you know? Okay. No. Yeah, we, we, we had a connecting flight. Yeah. yeah. So he, uh, we, you know, my buddy of mine is from Minnesota. He's from Wisconsin. They kind of hit it off and started exchanging emails. Uh, well, we got back to the states, uh, and it was football season, and Joe said hey i'd like to send you and you and uh your buddy to a, a cleveland game well i'm like all right well you know at this point i was in texas my buddy was in colorado and uh joe thomas flew us to cleveland first class but no kidding first class oh yeah flew us first class we stayed we got there we went through a tour of the facility um stand behind the podium with the you know the where they do their post game and everything and then we stayed in the team hotel so the night before the game we got to go eat team dinner with the cleveland browns um, and it was one of the most amazing spreads I've ever seen in my life. And those boys can eat. I'm gonna tell you. Yeah, that. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Monsters and pizzas and hamburgers. And, and Joe Thomas never said a word to anybody about it. You know, there was never any like making a big deal about flying some veterans out here for a game. No one ever even knew we were there. Um, so we went. This was in the Eric Mangini days. 
but you know, he he was an awesome guy. He took us. We went. We sat with the uh, the players' wives and families during the game. Sideline passes. Uh, but this was the game, and you probably remember it, uh, Justin, being a Browns fan. Uh, Peyton Hillis, and this was the, the, the 2000, probably 2010, I'd say, or 11. And they played the Patriots, and they beat the brakes off of them. Yes. You remember that game? <laughs> there's vi- yes. Trust me, if you're a Browns fan, there's only a few highlights over this last decade. Right. That is definitely right. one of them. So. <laughs> I, I, I was there watching that game. I was hoping it was going to be like one of those angels in the outfield thing, and they were going to bring us to every game. But it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> that is but, cool. Uh, yeah. It was it was a really cool thing. It was cool. Joe Thomas is a great guy, you know. And, and and ever since then, I root for the Browns anytime they're not playing the Dolphins for sure. Which, you know, that's probably not a very a very good game anyway. But <clears throat> no, just that's, wanted to share that. Story. No, I appreciate you doing that. Again, we do thank you for your service. But while we have you, you're a Dolphins fan. To attack of Iloa, why is he not playing? And are you upset? Because I would be upset. There's no reason why he should not be playing unless he's injured. But team doctors said coming in, he was 100% cleared. Heck, a month out, they said he was 100% cleared. Well, that's that's what I can't wrap my head around. Is you know, because Fitzpatrick went out and threw what four touchdowns last week and yep. 330. I'm like, yeah, he's going to do that. And then you know, next week he'll throw three interceptions. Well, we're playing the Jets, so maybe not next week, but following week, <laughs> you know, he'll go out and he'll throw three interceptions. We know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. The problem I have with it is you got two at Tagovailoa. You know if the guy can play because you got two first round draft picks next year. We got the Texans and we got ours, which are both have a potential to be top 15 picks. I, think, I mean, could potentially out. be in the top 10, and, and that, that worked out for the Browns a few years ago where they ended up having the number one and number four pick. I don't think the Dolphins will be drafted that high. Um, but, no, you, you're right. I, I just – I mean, like, and by the way, you got the Jets coming up. That is the game that you want to de- – I mean, hell, that worked for Baker Mayfield. That is the game that you want to debut Tag uh, Tagovailoa. It's well, kind of an easier game to throw them out to. Right. I thought originally that was – because originally on the schedule before the COVID change, they were going to play the Jets. Then they had a bye, and they were playing the Jets again. I was like, well, he was going to play one of those weeks. So I don't honestly, I don't know if we'll see him this year. To be honest, but hopefully we do. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. But hey, Jay, I appreciate you being patient. I loved your story about Joe Thomas, and again, we thank you for your service. Thank you for the call as well. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. All right, good stuff there. Four five seven nine four six. See, he 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 called it the perfect time. He called it the perfect time. You wild guy, man. Yep. I'm, I'm stupid, not. but not as stupid as COVID. Don't let it dominate you. We've <laughs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I'm stronger now than I was before. Are you immune? I'm <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Top five, bottom five next. The Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, weekdays at 3 p.m. on Dayton's ESPN Radio, 1410 Wing AM. So you want to talk about our... All right, and we are back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you on 1410 ESPN Radio. I popped the blood pressure pill during the break, so we are good to go. We feeling are better? I'm feeling much better our bottom five NFL teams and of course it could change from week to week after the final results and ours have, have shifted you know a couple teams here and there bottom five top five who you start with let's start with the trash start with all the right five so the bottom the five for Kev Nash here you go all right uh 28 Jacksonville Jaguars welcome to the party uh I tried not to put you guys in the bottom five for the longest because I'm a huge fan of your quarterback the mustache the jorts you know saying the cool bandana just not getting it done. Y'all losing too many games. Get ready for a high.
high draft pick with Jacksonville. Number 29, 0-5, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, so much talent on offense, no talent on defense. End up getting your head coach fired. You guys have not won a game yet with all that talent. You should be ashamed of yourself. And perfectly honest, y'all should be higher on my list, but y'all stay at 29. To, uh, 30, the Washington football team. You benched Dwayne Haskins. Matter of fact, you didn't even bench him. You told him to go home. Uh, then Allen gets hurt. Then you bring in a dude with the snapped off leg from three years ago. Still didn't work. You guys are at 30 and easily 31. The Giants, definitely easy. The worst team in the league, the New York football Jets. Just cut my guy, Le'Veon Bell. Maybe he'll come back to the Steelers. Maybe he'll go to the Bears. Probably end up with the Patriots. Is what it is. That's the trash of the league. I still think Le'Veon goes back to your Steelers. Come on down. If they want to win. Come on back. They've been winning. No, like... They've been winning. Like, playoff runs... Super Bowls, yeah, was, you know all the things that the Steelers are made of. Yeah, he was there before we didn't go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's because you have an average. Coach. I, can't, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. I I know Tomlin's good, but I still think he's a little overrated. But he he's good. He's good. Never had a losing season. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's go to Kevin Nash's <laughs> top five. It's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, one, two, three, four, and five. No, honestly, no. I'm still waiting to see a little bit more from my Pittsburgh Steelers. So at five, still got uh, the MVP and the Ravens at number five. New to the top five, the Tennessee Titans. They are all the way at number four. That dominant performance last night over a previously unbeaten Buffalo Bills team. Uh, defense caused the turnovers. Uh, the run game powerful. And your favorite quarterback, Tannehill, throwing jump balls to A.J. Brown. Looking good out there. Looking good, Tennessee. Uh, number three, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. A great comeback victory on Sunday Night Football. 95 yards away from a touchdown victory with a minute 30 to go in the rain. Russell Wilson gets it done there at number three. And the champs, you know, there's a penalty for losing. You were number one, but you took an L to the Raiders. So you fall to number two. You're still the champs. You're still outstanding on offense. Nobody's going undefeated in the NFL. It's big boy football. But number one this week. A new number one. New number one, man. Green Bay Packers, man. Shouts out to Aaron Rodgers, man. Getting it done. And the reason they're getting it done, they're getting it done on offense, but they have a superior defense. Defense still means something. You got to be able to stop people. And the Packers can get some stops here and there. All right. And that is Kev Nash's top five and his bottom five. Uh, and, and look, I, I like Green Bay. I'm just a little weary. Like, uh, I mean, look, they fight the Vikings, the Lions. Saints and Falcons. Mm-hmm. But we've been doing that a lot. Have you noticed? Is this the worst that the NFL has been from a from a talented team? Not talent. There's talents all over the place in the league. But from a team standpoint, there's a lot of bad football this year. I don't know if it's COVID, uh, you know, because of the offseason and being kind of wonky. There's a lot of bad teams in the National Football League this year. I mean, the NFC East, that's that, that's bad. They uh, weren't good last year, though. You know, but again, but the Eagles were, that was because of injuries for the Eagles and the Cowboys underperformed, underachieved. I, I, I wouldn't put it there. I mean, you have the Giants so in Washington the, the coming Cowboys, off years were Cowboys, drafted. Cowboys are still underperforming. Oh, they're uh, performing Washington. the way they're supposed to right now. <laughs> Washington football team, the Washington football team. And, I mean, I guess the only other team in there, Philly, should be playing better. We expected them to be playing better, but I 
I just don't think that division is that good. I think that the Cowboys. I'm not arguing. You're, you're having an argument that doesn't exist. No, I never said that. That was. I said. I just. It does say how bad the NFC East is. They're like. I just don't think they're that good. I don't think they were good last year. I didn't say they were good last year. They, the big argument about last year was the fact that they were going to have a team under 500 potentially hosting, or a team that was like Dallas if they would have made it at 8-8, eight and eight, and I think Philly did. Philly did, yeah. They hosted a playoff game. They hosted Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, Malarkey. as far as that's concerned. So, uh, either way. But, uh, no, I mean, look, so the whole NFC East is trash. The <laughs> NFC North, uh, the Lions, trash. Uh, the Vikings, trash. The Packers, we... Look, they're they're good. Um, I I have them in my top five every week. They're in my top five right now. The Bears, I don't believe in what they're doing. You don't make a quarterback change in the middle of the year when you're winning games. I mean, so, so to me, there's a lot of uncertainty there. But Nick Foles is a lot like Fitzpatrick where it's like, okay, you, you never know what you're going to get from a week-in, week-out basis. They just got done beating the Buccaneers because Ron's team and their quarterbacks forgot how many, you know, tight, you know what down it was. Uh, and then you, you know, you look at the AFC North, bad, you know, very bad. Bengals team, the AFC East. Uh, you know, the Patriots are actually better than we thought, but like the Dolphins aren't good. The Jets aren't good. The AFC South, Houston's not what we thought. Indianapolis, even at three and two. I highly doubt Phillip Rivers is their quarterback for the rest of the year. Jacksonville's horrendous. Tennessee's on point with what they were doing last year. Denver, not good out of the AFC West. The Raiders are just an in-between team. I think they're not bad. They're not good. They're just in-between. The Chargers are bad. Uh, the Cardinals, we thought they were going to be a hotter team than they are. They're just okay. They're improved. Um, the Rams... Not sold on what they've done so far, even though they are off to a hot start record-wise. The Niners, not as good as last year. And then Seattle, statistically, is the worst team Russell Wilson's <laughs> ever played on, and they're 5-0. and It's just a weird, weird year. So to sum up, Kev Nash's top five, the Packers number one. Again, we're live on Facebook. Go to the Facebook page, search the Justin Kinner Show, um, and follow along there. But the Green Bay Packers number one. Number two is the Kansas City Chiefs. Three, the Seahawks. Four, uh, the Stupid Titans. And number five, the Baltimore Ravens. That's Kev Nash's top five. In your bottom five, one more time, the Jets, Giants, Washington, Atlanta, and the Jaguars. All right, so let's go to Mr. Kinnair. Mr. Kinnair. Let's hear it. I always like to keep track of yours to see how many flip-flops you got. I'm all about to fall like a fish out of water, baby. <laughs> I live out of the water. My top five, the Kansas City Chiefs come in at number one, even with the loss. They're still the defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, I never expected them to go 16-0. and they have a loss already. I think, you know, it is what it is. They lost, but they're still the best team in the National Football League to me. I put Seattle up at number two. Uh, I put Seattle up at number two right now because they're just getting the job done. Um, they are 5-0, and and they are being led by the MVP right now if the season ends today. And I've never been a huge Russell Wilson guy. I've never not liked him. Okay, He's hard to, to diss the guy. I just haven't been as high on him as most people have. But what he has done this year, I'm all about quarterbacks who do more with less. They don't sit there and make excuses about their bad offensive line or they don't make excuses about how poorly coached they are. You know, Baker, that's what drove me nuts. Like, it was a lot of excuse making. No, you got to make lemonade, you know, with the lemons you're given, and that's exactly what Russell Wilson does. The Packers come in at number three, um, and you look at what the Packers have done again. Right now they have the Buccaneers coming up. Um, I'm all about what the Packers are doing when they beat the Buccaneers, because I do believe they will beat the Buccaneers, but when they beat the Buccaneers coming up, That'll be good enough for me to put them in that number one slot. I will leapfrog the Packers to number one if when they beat the uh, the Bucks coming up this weekend. I have Baltimore at number four, and then I'm all about the ties at number five. I don't know why you're getting all upset. I mean, you're gonna I like. I knew who, you were gonna do that. Why? I knew you're it. You're gonna like who I have at number five. Let's hear it. I have it's Steelers slash Buccaneers. 
I'm, I, it's a tie for me. Steelers slash Buccaneers. And the Titans, I don't care if you go 16-0. and 0. <laughs> I don't care if the Titans beat every team by 100. You will never be in the prestigious Justin Kinner top five list. You don't insane, deserve man. it. You, The Titans don't deserve it. They are, they are, uh, the leadership on that team is absolutely garbage. I love the stiff arm. <laughs> the stiff arm is pretty, that's pretty good. That, that's pretty good. I like the stiff. I mean, I, I, I was like, I'm not watching it. Not, I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. I mean, I, <laughs> the still shot where Norman is parallel. He's literally biased parallel with the field. That was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and by the way, that was a good win for them last night. It pains me to say. There are many ways to catch the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. You can catch it live right here on 1410 Wing AM, or you can stream the show at wingam.com. But now we have another way that you can take in the show. You can now watch the Justin Kinner show. And we are back. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Played at 29 or 34. Hit a QBR 91, but four touchdowns, no interceptions. Average yards, about 11 yards uh, a throw. Good for him. Nice. I didn't know ultra quarterbacks knew how to throw a football, and apparently <laughs> I was wrong as far as that. And that's, you know, just that old school style. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man. Um, tell you what, there's, obviously we know the rich history of talent that's come out of uh, out of Alter. I'm excited to see C.J. Hicks. Uh, you know, I've been following his journey and his path to Ohio State. But uh, real quick, you know, with that, you know, Connor Bazelak uh, was named the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback of the Week. Beat the defending champs, man. I don't care if all their... 22 starters from last season are in the NFL. They're not playing. They still the champs. So get a win over the champs. That's outstanding. Yes, it is. And again, if you're just tuning in, it is the Justin Kinner Show. And uh, who we got on? Who we got, Ron? The Ron. Let's go to the Ron. The Ron, how are you, sir? Is it is it four o'clock? Is it five o'clock? Is it is it six? Yeah. What what, what time? I I can't tell. Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. I got me a cool one. <laughs> there you go, Ron. It's the coolest thing I've heard you say. Uh, how are you? Hey, here's another cool thing. Go Browns. Go. Oh, go for nothing else after it, huh? I, I, I didn't react. Okay, cool. All right, I'll be nice. You be, you be nice, I'll be nice. How about that? Okay, yeah. I mean, we can have a truce, you know. But uh, I'm saying don't overlook that Green Bay game because, like you, like I commented, you commented, they've, they've got wins over teams that ain't even had a win, okay? They beat the Saints who don't look right. They, I mean, they just... Even with Michael Thomas. Real quick, you mean the Saints team that the Buccaneers lost to? Well, opening day, no, no preseason, okay? Let's get that. It's a veteran ready. quarterback that's played for 20 years. He don't need no preseason. Well, let's – I thought you was going to be nice, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is uh, – they got Chris Godwin and Fournette back in practice, so they might be starting to come to full strength. And if they do, look out! I'm telling you. And that defense is the number one run defense. You can't run on that team. And they're going to make him one dimensional, and they're going to make him throw. And he's he's pretty good at it. But I'm just wondering if they're going to put the stick the dogs on him because Todd Bowles is a he likes to. Do the power rush, you know? So. Oh, no. And, and look, I'm going to say this nicely, but you talk about how the Packers haven't 
played anybody or beaten anybody. I mean, I'm looking at the Buccaneers' schedule right now. You have a win over the Panthers, bad team, a win over the Broncos, bad team, a win over the Chargers, bad team, and the only two teams with a winning record that the Buccaneers have played, they have losses again. They lost to the Saints, and they've lost to the Bears. And by the way, I don't know how they lost to the Bears. That you know, that it is what it is. You're always going to have one of those games. You're always going to look back at the season and say, oh, "Yeah, we lost the game that we shouldn't have, but we also won a game we shouldn't have." But uh, you know, I, that's why there's so many bad teams in the NFL right now that I don't always like hanging on the excuse of, "Well, they haven't beaten anybody." This isn't college football where that matters. In the NFL, you know, the total wins matter at this point. Even it's tough even beating the bad teams in the NFL. Well, you know, I'm not going to say you're wrong because I know you don't like people telling you. Oh, I'm not wrong, Ron. I'm never wrong. But, hey, I'm, but not I'm not wrong. How could I be wrong there? You just got done. Now, now I'm not going to be done. Now, see, this is what I'm talking about with you, Ron. Ron, you just got done saying that the Packers can't be good because they haven't played anybody. And I just got done saying that the two teams that you have played that are somebody, you lost to them, and the wins you have are against bad teams. That's your logic. Hey, hey here's where you're wrong, Mr. Kenner. Okay. Uh, the Panthers are 3-2. and two. Okay. So that's a, are that's the Panther? Where are the Panthers going? Are they? Are they you think they're going to be a Super Bowl contender? Super Bowl team? I didn't say that. I just said they have a winning record. So, you know, you and I just wanted to tell you that my team's starting to get healthy. I know we lost our top tight end, but we got backups, and that defense is something to look at. And I wouldn't put it past them. Plus. The Buccaneers, when they play at home, it, it's it, right now. I, I talk to my dad daily, and he he said it's been in the nineties. Okay, so you got that heat down there, okay, that humidity, and the Bucks bench is on the shade side, okay. And whenever they play a home team in that kind of weather, if they wear the the home team can call the jersey. They wear the white. Pack will be wearing that heavy green. Some of them big big players from up north here. They're going to go down there, and they're going to be getting IVs, dehydrated. It's 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 kind of like a cold team or a warm team coming up north and playing. So you got that vice versa thing. But I'm just telling you, it's going to be. I wouldn't. It's going to be a good game. I and plus the Bucks have had extra time to prepare for this. They they played last Thursday. So anyway, um, your game will be a good one. I'm not going to. I'm hoping it'll be a tie like last year. Okay. It's two years ago. Whatever, I'm not gonna. I like <laughs> I like Kevin. I don't want to get him mad. But it's all good, I'm man. Trying to make you, trying to make you nice. It's difficult to make me nice, Ron, and you're you're so mean all the time. You, I you can't just expect me just to turn my meanness off just because you decided to one day. <laughs> anyway, um, the only thing that Brown's got that's not going to happen for him is every team you root for ends up falling in the tank. Okay, Dallas looks like they're Browns are four and one. Curse of the Kenner. Well, the Lakers just won a championship. The curse of the root for the Lakers. I root for LeBron. LeBron, the best player of all time, just won his fourth. Three different teams. Well, whatever the bandwagon's rolling, I know you're jumping on it. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, Justin. It was good. To, hey, thanks for giving my team a compliment. I, I put them in I, my top five. We to sum up all of our back and forth. I put them in my top five. I think they will write the ship. I mean, like I heard the interview with the Arians. He said, you know, Tom chewing the team out, offensive line. That saved me time from going over there because I was going to do it first. So, you know, he's got Arians got his back. He said, I'm going to let Tom be Tom. So, All right. I for that. All right, man. Hey, 
adios and uh, good luck. And uh, I'm, I might come out there your first. Hey, when are you guys going to do Molar again? Uh, we're doing Frickers 741 Sunday, October 25th at 1130. So that's okay, the answer to that. that. <laughs> but hey, we're out of time. Ron, I appreciate it. Talk to you later. 457-946 for the Justin Kinder Show with Kevin Nash right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Um, yes, as we close things out, by the way, this Monday from noon to 1. I mean, I can't believe it. So we're going to have college football this Saturday, uh, Georgia and Alabama. Big what game. a game. What a game. That is going to be big time. And I think that is a perfect segue week into the Big Ten coming back. Ohio State will kick off a week from Saturday. Uh, we will have the Ohio State uh, season kickoff show this Saturday morning at 10 a.m., 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, so we are excited about that. That's really going to help kind of get everyone, uh, you know, get the juices going. Again, Ohio State kicks off a week from Saturday. They welcome in Nebraska. Um, we're looking forward to that. So on Monday, College Football Hall of Famer, former Buckeye Keith Byers, will be live at Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken in Inglewood from noon to 1 for his show. He's going to arrive early. If you want to meet Keith, head out to Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken in Inglewood uh, this Monday. He'll be talking plenty of Buckeyes, and uh, he's super pumped. And I also want to give him a happy birthday shout-out. Hey. It's his birthday uh, today. So happy birthday, Keith Byers. Uh, you can see Keith Byers this Monday. He'll be taking the show live out on the road from noon to 1 at Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken in Inglewood. That wraps it up for us. Have a great night, everybody. We'll do this again tomorrow, week six. I mean, last night, yeah, Tuesday night football because the Titans are morons. Uh, but uh, week six kicks off tomorrow. You got this song again, huh? The the the, <laughs> the diamonds the diamonds track. I like it. Mirror, 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 mirror. Make it rain. See, you said put your hands up. <laughs> Never mind. You, you set me up to say something. I've been, you know, pretty yelled at people today. I got called mean. I thought you were going to be mean. <laughs> Put your hands up. <laughs> Folks, have a good night. We'll do it again tomorrow. Until tomorrow, this has been the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing M. Big game, catching up on bills, or saving up for the holidays. We could all use a little extra cash this time of year. Hey, how does a thousand dollars sound? It's the ESPN Dayton hashtag. We want to get paid. With breaking news, ESPN's Tom Rinaldi reports Alabama coach Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. Saban immediately left the football facility today. The second-ranked Crimson Tide hosts number three Georgia on Saturday night. The LSU-Florida game Saturday has been postponed to December 12th. Florida shut down football activities this week after 19 positive tests. The Patriots back on the practice field tomorrow, and ESPN's Field Yates reports quarterback Cam Newton will be there. He may be ready to start Sunday's game against the Broncos. Twelve days ago, Newton first tested positive for COVID-19. The Panthers haven't had any positive tests, but after playing the Falcons, the team has now voluntarily entered the league's new intensive protocol. The Braves lead the Dodgers 2-0 in the NLCS. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. You know, obviously we built a lot of momentum there. Um, we just need to ride it into into today and then uh, win a game today and just 
stay on the wave. Um, you know, but uh, we have to get it started today for sure. And RESPN Radio. Up Thursday, can the Dodgers get back on track in the NLCS, or will they be headed for another October collapse? Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, Thursday, 6 Eastern, ESPN Radio, ESPN News. And this is a very special edition of this podcast. For the first time, we will have not one, but two interviews. In just a moment, you will hear my conversation with one of the voices of New York Yankees baseball, the legendary Susan Waldman. And usually I will tell my own personal story here so as not to waste the time of the person that I'm interviewing. But in this case, I wanted to tell Susan a story she did not know about what an incredibly pivotal role she has played in my professional life. So in just a moment, you will hear that conversation with Susan Waldman, the voice of the Yankees, and you will hear why she is as responsible as just about anyone for me having the career that I've had. So we'll have that in a moment, and then after that, we will play my interview with Vin Scully, the legendary voice of Dodger baseball for uh, almost 70 years broadcasting those games. He was with me on the radio last week, and the reaction was so extraordinary, we decided we would tack that on here as well. So we will have Susan Waldman, and then we will have Vince Scully coming up a little bit from now. But in this moment, it is time for you to hear from Susan Waldman, the voice of the Yankees, in three, two, and one. I'm delighted to get this chance to tell Susan something that I've never had the chance to tell before. And that is that if we were to go back to 1992, I was working at WSCR Radio in Chicago as a producer. And in my spare time, I would go over to Chicago Stadium. After my shift, I would, I would produce the afternoon talk show. And then I, I, I begged for the chance to go over to Chicago Stadium after and just do some reporting on the Bulls games that night or the Blackhawks games that night, whoever happened to be home in Chicago. And uh, they would allow me to do that unpaid. I would do it. I would get some sound. They would let me uh, tape a report that would air on the morning show the next day. And that was how I started getting on the air in Chicago. And what we didn't have at the time at the radio station was someone whose job it was to cover the teams on a regular basis. Being from New York, I knew that Susan Waldman covered the New York Yankees as a beat. She was an electronic beat reporter for WFAN in New York. And I went in and I put together a whole presentation for the management of how they should let me do that with the Bulls. Because the Michael Jordan Bulls at that time, this was 92, were the most popular team in the world, much less in Chicago. And for reasons known only to the people I worked for, they gave me the job. They said, you know what, that's a good idea. And they let me at the age of 24 do it. So as I welcome Susan Waldman to this podcast... Susan, I would say that while you have no doubt inspired countless young women to make a career in this industry, you have also paved the way for at least one man. And for that, <laughs> I finally get the chance to say thank you very much. Oh, you, well, you're very welcome. And I, I love hearing that. Would you like me to tell you why I did that, though? Yes. How I got that? When WFAN, so, this is so great, because in, in 1987, when WFAN went on the air, as I know you know, uh, your listeners probably don't, I was the very first voice on the air, and I was doing updates. That's what I was hired to do. Um, and trust me, I was not a sports journalist. I came right out of theater, and I thought this would be a really good idea. 
and I was not the greatest update person. And I, they couldn't fire me because I had a, uh, a guaranteed contract, so they put me on the overnights, thinking that I would quit, which I did not. So I did updates on the overnight. And as I'm listening at 5 or 6 in the morning when they were doing the sports updates, I noticed that um, we had on FAN beat writers from newspapers covering the team. And what I noticed was that they're not going to give you anything good. They're not going to give you stuff that's going to be in a paper six hours later. So you'd get regurgitated stuff that you could read in the paper. So I wanted to get off the overnights, and I went to the then program director and said, listen, this isn't good for us. Why don't you let give me a big tape recorder? I'll take my car, and I'll go, and I went to Knicks games, and I went to Ranger games, and Islander games, and Devils games, and Yankee games, and I got sound and I was a reporter so I could come on at 2 o'clock in the morning and break stories. That's how this started. I didn't want to stay in the, the overnights and I just got in my car and they were paying me anyway and the guy said, sure, you can. Um, I'm not paying you anymore to do this. You got a tape recorder and you got a car. That's it. So that's how that started. And um, I'm really glad that you did that because look what happened. That makes me smile, that story, Greeny. Thank you. Well, look what happened for you. That was 1987, and look what happened for me, which was 1992, and away it has gone. So, Susan Waldman, I, I, I Googled you in preparation for this. I, I have listened to you for all of these years that we're talking about, but in preparation for this, I Googled you, and the way it describes you is that you are, quote, considered a pioneer in the male-dominated field of sports broadcasting. To you, what does that mean? Um... I guess it means that I'm old because nobody's a pioneer at 20. Um, I, and I, I think it means a lot now, Greeny, because now I see the result of what I've done because there are slews of young women in their 20s that are now doing uh, minor league baseball play-by-play, -play, and they're really good. And these were little girls when they turned on a radio and there was a female voice. I never had that. I never had that in anything. It never occurred to me to do any of this. I had a whole other career. And I think what it means is that, you know, you're supposed to leave this world better than when you found it. And if there's a whole slew and a whole generation of two of young girls, and I mean young. I mean, they're in their 20s. It skipped a generation for some reason. But they're out there now, and I think that it, that means a lot to me. That's more because maybe I've done something that's kind of lasting. I hear it, too. I hear them not just in baseball, but I hear it in football, in college football. If you watch the telecasts of college football as you're switching through, I hear many female voices not doing sidelines, but doing the actual play-by-play. -play. Do, you, do you listen to that sometimes and think to yourself, you know what? That's me. That, 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 the, one of the big reasons that's happening is me. Yeah, well, not that. Baseball, yes. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't take credit for the others. But baseball, yes, because when I started and when I first walked into a baseball clubhouse, um, it, it wasn't really good back then. And the stories now, and I know, it, I know everybody, all the young ladies that, that have, um, you know, the Twitter accounts, and I guess the harassment can be bad there. But, boy, physically and really in the 80s, it was really bad. It was really terrible. So if, um, if I can think that there is no young woman that is ever going to go through what I did, never going to get spit in the face uh, with tobacco from a center fielder on a 
ex-World Series team, never going to get screamed at, never going to have rings, never going to have to know what it's like to have to have your own police force at Yankee Stadium because someone is literally trying to kill you. I would really hope that that's what I'm thinking of, that these young women are never going to know what that's like. And so how would you describe what it was like if they were to say to you susan we, we put up with a lot of crap on social media we put up with a lot of crap in a variety of ways but but it is different from what you put up with how, how would you describe what it was then well i mean i can tell you i can tell you stories um what i found back then was an amazing amount of kindness and an amazing amount of of just cruelty and not a lot in between uh, i was lucky because uh the new york yankees are Obviously, Don Mattingly was in there, and Dave Rigetti was in there, and Ron Guidry was going to get in there, and Dave Winfield was there. So I never had any problem in there, but it was other teams that were not used to to seeing a woman, and it can be it can be really cruel. I'll tell you the one big story, which is a chapter in a children's book. Um, Toronto back then was kind of odd clubhouse, and in 1987, towards the end of the year, they were uh, at Yankee Stadium, and they were going to take the train down to Baltimore. More. They had a big weekend series, and if they won, they were going to the playoffs. I think they were fighting Detroit then for the for the uh, division or uh, the pennant. And um, George Bell had not talked to the New York press all year because he thought that the New York press votes had cost him the MVP vote in 1986, and it went to Mattingly. So <clears throat> the voting for Mattingly kept him off there. So he wouldn't talk to anybody. What I used to do back then, Greeny, and I don't think mm -hmm. you need to do that anymore, is I would look in a media guide if I didn't know people in a clubhouse and I would see where they went to school. And I'd look in Toronto and Jeff Musselman, he went to Harvard, he's not going to yell at me. John Cerruti, he went to Amherst, <laughs> bless his heart, he's not going to yell at me either. So I went and I would talk to these guys and I'm in that clubhouse and George Bell decides he's going to talk to the New York media. So I um, <laughs> excused myself and went over there and when he saw me walk over to him, he started screaming in English and Spanish and get her out of here and I'm not talking to you. And back then I didn't react as, <laughs> as I do now. And I I just stopped and everyone was staring at me and I got tears in my eyes and I started to walk out of the room and I'm thinking, God, just let me get out of here before I start to cry. I didn't know what to do and it was dead silence like in a movie and I'm just walking and all of a sudden I hear, what's her name? And somebody said, oh, Susan something. And I hear Susan and I turned around and it was Jesse Barfield and he said, I went three for four today. Don't you want to talk to me? And I turned around and I went back and there was Jesse Barfield and the others came over and he said, no, 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 this is for her. You go talk to George Bell. Go ahead. And it was mm. the kindest thing. And, we, and, and Jesse and I have been friends for over 30 years because of that. And really, chapter in a children's book about kindness to strangers. And from what I gather, I found out years later, Georgia didn't talk to him for weeks because of that. <laughs> Professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to recommend the best products for your car. Get maximum cooling system performance for 10 years or 300,000 miles with Peak Long Life Universal Premix Antifreeze and Coolant. On sale now for just $5.99 after mail-in rebate. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
college football, it's the game you wake up early on Saturdays for, even though kickoff isn't until 7. The game where the Goodyear blimp becomes a Hall of Famer. The game that goes just beyond school, spirit, fandom, or love of the sport. It's the game where the comebacks happen. It's the game where anything can and will happen, as long as you have the drive. Because college football is the game that moves you. We get it because it moves us too. Goodyear, more driven. 